This is a Dece World production in association with Pants Pending Studios. Is this just a situation where you're going to cut a bunch of our blurbs out of context? Um, no, because then there would be blisters in awkward places, which would be terrible. Oh, here we go. That is the dirtiest thing I've ever seen. Listen to the nerd with Adam, Will, and Amanda. Why did I get top billing? I don't deserve top billing. Because out of the two of us, you're the one she likes better. Oh man. I mean, yeah. I'm eight months pregnant. Put another one in me. And that's when she figured out that I had taken drugs. How are all of you? We're going to do a promo, but we're just going to talk sex. I got to see your dick. Oh man. I mean, yeah. She cooked dinner for me in lingerie, which hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Cause I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Well, this podcast phenomenon is sweeping the nation, and we're all up on the bandwagon with the plethora of episodes at Nerd. Pantspending.com. Willem Dafoe gives me a lady boner. Blue Chew is bullshit, by the way. <laughs> Listen to the nerd. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Is that a good no? It takes effort to do a promo. Yeah. And I think we knew that before. <laughs> <laughs> Although I feel like we could just put that part in. Yeah. <laughs> That along with the the nerdy thing Adam said and me with the sexy voice. There you go. There's your promo, Will. Congratulations. The nerd. I'm sorry. You are now listening to The Social Hour. They're not PC. So if occasional foul language turns you off, then you have all been warned. This is the call before the storm. This is why I got out of ISIS in the first place. Get ready for the social hour. Live from Deese World Studios in Spokane, Washington. This is the social hour on today's show comic book creator joe kelly and now your host keeping the christ in jesus christ is it christmas again already discasius Malukin, everyone, welcome to the show. This is the Social Hour. I am Dees. Thank you for coming around for another episode. We have a fun one planned today. Uh, comic book creator, writer, and more. Joe Kelly is going to be joining us. Uh, he's been around for a long time. This guy's been hanging around the industry for uh, 25 plus years, probably closer to 30 now, honestly. Uh, currently writing Spider-Man, had a long run on Superman, Deadpool, among other things. We're going to talk about all those. Uh, so uh, hang around for that, guys. Uh, before we get into it with our uh, guest, uh, as usual, go to Blue Spot Comics, uh, our number one sponsor and number one source for online comic books, guys. You can find them on um, Instagram, Facebook, or eBay. Uh, tell them we sent you and get 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got back issues, rare variants, number ones, uh, classic books, CBC, C. G, C, CBCS, all sorts of the graded ones, all sorts of stuff, guys. So hit them up and see what they can do for you for your 
nerd needs, man. That's where I go. I know. Uh, also, as for me, guys, live dates uh, back from California, obviously, but hitting the road again soon. But before I do that, uh, I'll be at the Spokane Comedy Club hitting the local home club. I'll be there the 6th through the 9th. You got four nights to come see me, guys. Uh, it's going to be a uh, fun weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we've got like uh, like seven shows we're doing that weekend, so it's going to be a big one. Uh, find me, guys, because uh, come January, I'm going to be a little scarce. I'll be around the Northwest a little bit, then I'm going to be gone for a couple months. So find me while you can. See me because I want to see you. Uh, and that's it, guys, for all that uh, nonsense. Oh, yeah, go to pantspending.com. Check out everything going on across the network. We've still got new episodes of uh, the never-ending random discussion and the Burr Martin experience and uh, maybe some other shows. I, I haven't kept up because I'm bad at life. But what I am good at is bringing you fantastic guests. So here you go, guys. Uh, please welcome our guest today, uh, writer extraordinaire. Please give it up for Joe Kelly, everyone. We are back with our uh, guest today. He is a uh, writer, uh, one of the creators of uh, Ben 10 Generator Rec, uh, Rex, uh, Man of Action Studios, among many other things. Uh, Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly. Joe, how you doing today? I am good, thank you, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. It's funny. I before I even uh, uh, emailed you to try to coordinate this, uh, I'd been uh, reading. Maybe this was my like subtle inspiration to to reach out to you. I've been rereading the uh, trade paperbacks of uh, the Deadpool series you wrote years ago, and I <laughs> so uh, and I actually just finished one of them the other day. So it's nice to have like that. It's like this weird bookend the last couple weeks of uh, of, of doing that. But uh, one of the many things you've done over the years. So we're uh, happy to have you here and talk to you about uh, everything you have done and will be doing. So uh, now, great, you're in uh, New York. You're in New York, is that right? Yes. Yeah, I am the only uh, man of action based in New York. All the rest of the the guys in the company are L.A. guys. L.A. Now, is that I was going to ask you, how does that work running a production company or being part of a one of the heads of this this company and living in New York? I mean, do you, are you commuting back and forth? There's a lot. I guess today, you know, like, you know, we're via Zoom is a lot of that stuff. Or? Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We it's almost come full circle, like in the very beginning when we all started working together, um, I was the guy on the phone and it was yeah. just like the speakerphone. Uh, there was none of this, you know, it was no video conferencing on, except under some extreme circumstance. And that it was an incredible benefit that the guys gave me because my, my wife uh, has a very big family and my family is much smaller and already spread out. Yeah. So, you know, her roots, roots run deep. So we were not moving uh, at all out of the state, <laughs> uh, let alone off of Long Island. And, um, and so to have the guys there so they could be in the room and I could, you know, just be uh, a guy on the box was yeah. fine. And that worked for a long time. But then it just became more obvious that um, I needed to go out a little bit more. Sure. And, and we figured out a way to make like the work equitable. You know, like if you're working on an animated show, they, they, the guys would go in for voice records and that sort of stuff. And then I would handle like all the animatics, which would be a file transfer anyway. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. And then, um, but then it got to the point where it was it was important for me to show my face a lot more, and um, so I would go out, uh, you know, for like a week at a time, every six to eight weeks, okay. uh, sometimes more often than that. And um, uh, but my kids had also hit a point where that was like an easy thing to do. So, sure. 
yeah, in, more the, in the beginning when they were little, you know, it wasn't happening. Yeah, but. it's tougher to get away. The uh, <laughs> they'll probably your wife complains a little bit about that too. You're like, all right, yeah, no, you're like you handle the kids. I'll be I'll be in L.A. for a while. Don't worry. Oh about yeah, it. <laughs> every definitely every once in a while I would get the like serious, especially in the winter, right? It's like you know horrible, you know, a foot of snow. Yeah, here, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> yeah, I know there's shoveling to be done. And kids have fevers <laughs> with the flu and everything. Ah, but you know, it's 75 degrees in Burbank. Yeah, right. Burbank. Well, that's why you have kids so they can do the shoveling, you know? You're like, <laughs> I, never quite worked out <laughs> in my family, but yeah. That's the that's uh, the idea. That, that yeah, it never works out the way you want it to. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you you're, are you from New York? Is that right? Born and raised out there? Or? Yes. Yeah, I, I grew up in a town called Freeport out uh, on Long Island and uh, pretty much had spent most of my life out here. I went to school upstate in Binghamton and uh, then later did grad school at NYU. So yeah, born and bred out here. Um, I would have moved to LA, I think, under different circumstances. Sure. But um, but you know, comics, especially at the time, also were in New York. So yeah. I could go to you know once I, I I stumbled into the business right, and then once I was here, I could go to the Marvel office. I could go to the DC office. Like that was that was you know, my bread and butter for a long time. Right. So it wouldn't have made sense. You know, we, it took a long time before we even, we as a group kind of cracked the Hollywood thing. Um, so it, it didn't make sense for me to go out there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, as, as someone who is just, you know, making that your kind of main thing and, and, and getting a lot of work. Yeah. The, back then it was just made more sense. I mean, that was a guy who, I mean, I live in Washington state now, but from LA, uh, and then, you know, you, you think about comic books, it's like, oh, yeah, you go to New York to do that. You know, if you if you write comics, you live in New York. You know, if you write movies, you live in L.A. Right. You know, it's but now uh, there's, you know, again, this or uh, so many different options. So at least you're it's a little more a little more freedom. Uh, did, did you ever have any design? I mean, did you ever have any desire to go anywhere else? Or was always just New York? That was your. Oh, no, I would love to, nothing more than to get off of this island. Oh, yeah. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and I love I love Manhattan. Yeah, uh, I don't obviously live in Manhattan, but I uh, no, I mean like I I'm kind of a, a city guy or a rural guy. So like, there's a bunch of cities I I love. Like Barcelona is one of my favorite cities. Like oh, there are yeah. places around the world I would love to move, um, and uh, and or I'd love to live in any version of the country. So sure. like, there are parts of Washington State I would totally move to. Pennsylvania I've always wanted to move to. You know, like I. I like the the vibe of a city, but I also like to be sort of left alone and have space. And like, I have a motorcycle. I basically don't like to ride around here because it's nothing but crazy people and yeah. looking at their phones while they drive. It's just too damn crowded, you know. Um, so I would happily have a, a shack in Pennsylvania with nothing but motorcycles and some land, <laughs> and, and you know, space. right in the morning and ride in the afternoon kind of thing. So uh, yeah, no, I would I would love to I would love to move someday. But again. My my wife, who uh, you know, when I when I got married, which was very not young, but I was I graduated grad school, started writing the X Men, and got married all in the same summer. Oh, what what was that like? Ninety eight? Uh, yeah, ninety seven. Yeah, 97, and it was okay. like literally like a three week period. Yeah, you know, sure. Like That's a good three weeks. I get you know. <laughs> it was it was an excellent couple of weeks. But when I was graduating, the um, the rest of the, the NYU people, like they, they were less excited that I was getting married as they were that I was getting benefits. They yeah, were like, right. cause my wife's, a, my wife's a counselor. So they're like, Oh my God, you're getting benefits. Yeah. So, you know, just the fact that my freelance life was able to be supported like on a base level of not having to worry about insurance. Yeah. Not, you know, like 
and somebody who had a quote unquote real job. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, was, was also really, really great. So, um, but because she's got a career out here, you know, just the idea of moving and, and uprooting all that, uh, even once our kids were old enough, it sort of became silly. Sure. I mean, what about, I mean, there's, you gotta be, not that, not that you guys are old by any means, but there's gotta be an idea of like some, uh, uh, retirement for her, maybe, you know, live off what you do and be able to move somewhere else. Right. That's gotta be not too far off. I don't know how old your kids are. Yeah. Those, no, those conversations have started, I mean, in part because of pandemic stuff, I think so many people are just having those conversations where it's like, oh yeah, I was, you know, I had X version of the American dream in mind and now it's Y like by a long shot. Right. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, I think she, she gets the idea of, you know, wanting to move and, um, we did some traveling uh, recently, you know, despite kind of right before the Delta stuff happened, uh-huh. we'd done a, a trip that we haven't, you know, went to Europe and hadn't done a big trip in a long time. And I think she's got the bug a little bit to just do more of that, find yeah. a place that might feel more, uh, I don't know, just more robust. Uh, sure. And, you know, not to, not to slam Strong Island, you know, it's like <laughs> I grew up here. I mean, this is a, it's a perfectly fine place and there's a reason so many people live here. Yeah. But, um, especially when you're not leaving the house that often uh, like if you don't have to be here there's a lot cheaper and you know different kind of stimulation uh, well, all over the place so. yeah i mean that's where that's you know i mean i left i left la in 08 right after the economy crash you know all the housing market mm-hmm. stuff and it just got too too crazy to live down there and um i moved to washington state eastern washington so i'm you know butted up against idaho and spokane oh, washington wow. you know which is it's funny because spokane is like uh you'd probably like it it's it's the second biggest city in washington state uh which is funny when you think of it but we so we have kind of everything like a big city needs but we feel like a small cities like right. a cow town a big city's body uh, but lots of room you know i mean i can go 20 minutes in any direction and i'm kind of in the middle of nowhere uh right. get lost real quick but still have the city um but yeah I that's mean, it, un- to- totally my ideal yeah that is 100 my idea <laughs> it's that, and that's yeah that's why i've loved it because i've stayed here for 10 years now because i'm like oh man you know it's uh i i have that city if i want it but also i can completely get lost you know i mean uh i mean i'm three hours from less than three hours from western montana which is just about as you know gorgeous as you can get in america so um that's awesome but but yeah i mean things you know everyone started moving here though the last two years because it was cheap and now i mean it's not it's just completely you know all those damn californians uh i think i lived here long enough to earn to say that uh yeah totally 100 percent. then you're a decade anywhere you're officially yeah i'm kissed in at that point i've paid my taxes uh the uh what uh you said you drive what kind of motorcycle you ride uh i used to have my my dad's bike which uh was a 86 california 2 moto guzzi okay um which was a great, I love that bike actually, but I'm, I'm a little tall for it. My legs are really long. So my, my knees were like a quarter inch from the carbs at any time. Oh yeah. And I'm yeah. just ready to get burned. But I, it was a really <laughs> fun, nimble bike, even though it's technically a touring bike, but I have a, a, a Suzuki Boulevard, uh, like a 2006 or uh, about there. Yeah. And yeah. It, it barely has any miles on it. It's got an embarrassing really? amount of miles. Yeah. Just cause I, I've, I've taken it. Uh, I've, I've driven down to, um, Maryland once like okay. the tip of Maryland and uh and it was you know I loved it and I can I can go through Manhattan and Manhattan's easy I mean because it's 
nobody goes faster than 20 something miles an hour. Really, You gotta right, watch right. out for bicycles more yeah. than cars. <laughs> um, but, uh, just out here, it's a drag. And for me, you know, like, and you, you know, there's nothing worse than riding scared, right? It's like, Oh you gotta, yeah. You gotta be committed. Yeah. So do you ride or? Uh, no, I mean, no, I used to, when I lived in LA, I did a little bit. Cause it was, oh, that's, it was that's like, scary it, to me. It, it was, <laughs> it was, that's why I stopped actually. Cause it was, it's scary, but it also, it made sense. Cause I mean, it makes sense in like a pragmatic way. kind of like I can get around easier. You can, it's faster. You can split lanes, everything, Everything about it that makes it easier in California also makes it exponentially deadlier. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and like, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, I've taken enough risks in my life. I'll just, I'll just drive. It's fine. Right. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't need to shave off that 20 minutes. Yeah. To- yeah. But I didn't even start riding until I turned 40. It was something that, uh, that was a, my dad rode and it was a big sort of point of contention with my wife about like, you know, should I, or shouldn't I ever get a bike? And yeah. I sat on it for a long time. It wasn't until after he, he passed away and she felt kind of guilty that she actually got his old bike, which didn't run, but got it out of storage where it was somebody was holding on to it. And then uh, I was under a delusion. I might be able to fix it, which I was not that yeah. person uh, got my bike. And then kind of literally the next day found somebody who could do european bikes okay so i had i had two bikes i didn't ride for a very long time yeah. finally <laughs> gave gave one to my brother-in-law who's a who's a big rider so but uh but yeah it's that same thing it's it's the you know i love it i love the freedom of it i love how it feels you know the the boulevard's like a you know touring bike it's like big and low it's not super crazy yeah crotch rocket stuff but um but i love seeing the country when you're like that i mean it's just the feeling is really good but yeah. you have to you have to feel good about it and I, when i see people riding in la i'm just like god damn like you guys it's are, pretty nuts that, yeah. yeah that's terrifying i mean i was uh just back down there last week on tour for about two weeks and through california and i was and it just reminded me of just the crazy i mean you know going from where i'm at to and then going back down there to the traffic and then seeing the guys in the motorcycles i mean you're sitting at a dead stop on the freeway and then just someone just right between yeah. you you know 80 miles an hour and you're like oh god that's not gonna end well no <laughs> you know no. uh the, uh, yeah, it's gotta be, I got it's gotta be tough out there on the East coast. Cause I mean, you only have probably, ha- I mean, half the year is limited just for winter and weather, you know, probably too. So. Yeah, there's definitely that. I mean, the, the, certainly the people who, who don't mind riding cold, you know, they're, they're good as long as there's no ice or whatever. But yeah. the, um, although, you know, late, it, it's, it was almost 70 today. So you was know. it? God, <laughs> oh, man, yeah. You guys... yeah. In California, people are talking about 30 degrees and we're having 70 degree days. So that's amazing. It's all whacked at the moment. I, I could definitely be riding. At the, I wow. haven't put the bike in storage yet because it's it's still fine. nice out. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. global warming or cooling, whatever the shift is, exactly. it's crazy. Whatever's right? happening, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> something's. I don't know what, whatever you want to call it. Something's happening and things are different. I know that because uh, I assume seventy in the middle of December in New York is not. Not typical. typical yeah not, not our norm yeah, yeah it's uh 70 in new york and then texas had their first freeze last year for the first time in like a you know 100 years mm-hmm. or whatever so we're something's crazy something's happening uh the uh so are you always in always in new york you went to nyu and are you still teaching there you used to teach at for the this this art school there right yeah, at the um, yeah at, at Tisch uh, in the dramatic writing department, which is where I went as a grad student. And um, you know, when I when I went in there, some Marvel editors 
contacted the department. That's how I got into comics. They, yeah. they started what's officially known as the Stan Hatton project. And they wanted to sort of teach a Marvel style to new people. And, uh, and I ran that, that program as a grad student oh, okay. and kind of got in there. And then Brian K. Vaughn was like the next year. And we oh, only really? did it in that official capacity for two years in a row. But then I taught the class a couple of years subsequent to that. And, um, I haven't done it for a little while. Um, I really, really enjoy it. Um, I love teaching and, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to get to teach, uh, Steve Siegel, who's uh, yeah. one of my uh, compatriots and man of action, yeah. uh, teaches at a school, um, in a place called Viborg, uh, which is in Denmark. And, uh, so I've gotten to teach out there a couple of times at an animation school and, uh, it, and visual basically teaching visual storytelling and it's uh, it's so much fun so between that and, and the occasional nyu gig i, I definitely do some teaching Still but i haven't been back to nyu for a little while okay the uh yeah that's got to be an interesting i mean especially if is that something where like i mean maybe you know this maybe you don't but i mean are, are like editors out there looking for people like that in in pools now or is it one of those things you know like with comedy or my business yeah you know, you used to, people wanted to be in LA because they're like, I'll work the clubs in LA because, you know, the uh, Tonight Show guys are, are scouting or there's agents there. And But now agents are like, if someone's funny, they'll show up on my TikTok or whatever the hell, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, is, is it like that with, with comics, you know, with, for, for talent and stuff? I feel like, I mean, it, what's nice is that certainly there's a, you know, both Marvel and DC have dedicated talent bases right uh, or talent search kind of components where they're they're actively looking for people i feel like uh it's it's probably along the spectrum of like oh here's an author who is gettable and is interesting and their voice might apply or playwright or whatever There's, yeah you know, tick the box where they're like a professional but not necessarily like we're trying to get michael Crichton to write yeah. a comic <laughs> Uh, and then, and then there's people that are looking at submissions and meeting people at cons and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's always tougher for writers cause you have to literally get them to read a script. Yeah. Um, you know, artists, I mean, any one of us who have been in the business long enough, whether you're technically an editor or not, you can tell if somebody's got it or not in an instant. Oh I mean, yeah, like, sure. And, 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 and even that, that sounds a little harsher than I mean it, but it like has potential, you know, like you can tell like oh, their figure work is fantastic. They just need a little much in storytelling or they actually know how to carry a story. But gosh, I wish their anatomy was tighter. Like you instantly. You yeah, know, you yeah. Go like, oh, I would hire you in a spot. I hope you're not a flake, right? And then, yeah. which, unfortunately, <laughs> which, also happens. Which a, a lot of artists are. So they... <laughs> Well, yeah, we all are. All, yeah, all creative I, guys. Exactly. Yeah. When I say artists, I should be a broad scope, you know, musicians, right. writers are, you know, any, it's all there. Yeah, exactly. But then the, on the writing side, um, I do believe that if you, if you have the opportunity to sort of do anything, whether it's online or self-published or small press, any of that sort of stuff, uh, the fact that there is a product you can share with people, yeah. that goes a long way. It's just so much easier for somebody to read a couple of pages and go, oh, that was actually compelling and interesting, uh, provided that the art helps them because the then the bad art will kill you. That's the yeah. irony of that. Yeah. But um, there there are people on the lookout, and and we've certainly hired people based on samples, you know, for animation that weren't necessarily through agents or anything like that. We've met people um, coming out of school often 
because uh, I have I still have my contacts at NYU, so they'll recommend people okay um, as they come up, which is great. And then the guys in California have that too, as well with certain uh, different schools that they're associated with. So, yeah, we do. Uh, and and just to make sure I say it out loud, you do not have to go to school to do this stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't, sure. I don't. It's it's not the sort of thing that um, like I know why I did it. I'm glad I did it the way that I did, but it was also a different time. And, uh, you, you don't need to, as long as you do the work, right. right. It's like, whatever that means. And I think comedy, you especially know this. I have a buddy who's a, who's a stand up, and we talk about this a lot. I mean, it's, it's, are you putting in the hours? Are you perfecting your craft? Are you paying attention to what other people are doing? And if those things are happening, you start to develop your chops Yeah, and you don't, you don't necessarily need, you know, book learning and some old guy to tell you how to do it to pull that off. Yeah. It's, it's not like becoming like a, you know, like a heart surgeon or something, you know, you, you, there's, you know, it's not just like, yeah, you know, you do it enough times, you'll figure it out. Yeah. You'll bomb a few times, (laughs) but it's, you know, that happens. It's it's a little, the audience isn't as forgiving in uh, that, (laughs) that medium. Your audience of one, (laughs) they really care. It's uh, Uh, yeah. Uh, But we, and we've met a couple of people, you know, uh, that I would say have gotten work that didn't necessarily follow their traditional path or started later in life yeah. or whatever, just didn't have the same kind of, you know, obvious road. And uh, which I hope for people is inspiring because there is no set path. Right. It's, it's, and it is, and you know, who, you know, is obviously important, but that doesn't literally mean like, Oh, my cousin is a giant agent at CAA. It's just, are you willing to put yourself out there? Can you go up to somebody at a con and say, hi, I'm, I want to be a writer. You can always find somebody who's willing to help out a little bit. Yeah. And those little wins kind of give people then momentum and um, hopefully turns into work. But if you would do the work anyway, then it's just a bonus if you obviously can get paid for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, like, you know, I always, obviously, you know, I do again, comedy, so I relate it to comedy always, but like when you start out in comedy and you know, your, your buddy will probably tell you the same thing. You know, you're like, oh yeah, I, I drive five hours to do, you know, <laughs> seven yeah. minutes and get paid in a hot dog and sleep in my car, right. you know? Cause yeah. like, that's, that's how it goes. And, you know, you right. kind of have to do that to eventually get to be able to, you know, hopefully one day down the line you're like oh then you get feature work then you're maybe headlining these clubs and it's like yeah you put in you front load a lot of time and effort to hopefully you have the payoff in the end you know yeah 100 percent. and obviously the same on the it really doesn't matter any of the you know uh the disciplines right i mean it's it's a very rare person that comes along that just can magically you know crap out a sonnet and yeah you know at three years old right it's yeah. like <laughs> We, you know, you hear it, it doesn't matter how it's said. It's like, you know, you have to draw a hundred <laughs> shitty pages before you get one good one. It's yeah. the same with writing. It's the same. It does not matter. Yeah. It's like, how many jokes do you have to sort of work through before you know what the hell you're going to do on stage yeah. in, a, in a successful way? And I think for most people, really, it's the, um, it's the fear of trying is what holds them back, you know? And, uh, and I've been on both sides of that. It's, it's like one of my, uh, I always think of it as like the old uh, old high school quarterback stories. But I I once went down to Miami with um, with friends of mine. It was a high school thing. Like we had just graduated, I guess. And um, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I, I went to Binghamton just because. Like I was told 
oh, apply to the, this as your safety school. Yeah. And I couldn't afford to go and get to the school I wanted to. I wanted to go to school for art, actually. I used to draw. And uh, I couldn't afford to go to Boston University. So Binghamton was a state school. And they didn't, not particularly well known for art or anything. Yeah. But it was like, oh, at least it's a good school. Sure. And um, so we're down in Miami and we wound up at a comedy club. And there was, they sort of did an improv show after the regular show. And uh, they brought somebody up from the audience and, and this woman kind of froze. She just didn't know how to sort of play the freeze tag game. Yeah. And my buddies were like, go, 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 you know, what kind of egging me on. So I just went up there and did it and wound up staying up there for a while. And the, and the club owner was like, do you live around here? And, you know, kind of offered me a job. And I was like, I'm calling my parents at one in the morning. I'm like, I got offered a job at a comedy club. I'm going to, I don't want to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. This um, is, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've not been, not even coming home. Yeah. I'm sure uh, they love that. Like, Oh, he's oh, not yeah, going to no, college. Was, he's going to do comedy. <laughs> yeah. My dad was definitely not impressed, but, but it did always make me like, Hey, it was like a path I obviously didn't take. Um, but I, I loved that sort of just ah who cares like what do i have to lose i'm just goofing around right and uh it was such a fun uh experience and i could see i mean that's not the same as obviously writing jokes i mean that's a different skill set which i think is you know hard in its own way like if you're willing to sort of do the whole yes and and play and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah the improv stuff is fun but but the you know sitting there and crafting a solid joke is that is a serious skill um and and then delivering that vulnerably on stage yeah. it's like hell no yeah especially in front of different you know different audiences especially as crazy as things are these days across this country joe like my god trying you know is like divided i should say so the temperature is so different so you're like walking into areas and you're like all right so what do you you know you start just like throwing little things out there and be like can we talk about this stuff no no okay we'll come we'll talk so uh, it's, yeah. it's funny you say that though. Cause like improv is, I I've done improv too. And improv is such, uh, I I've, I've said that like, I think everyone in life should take a couple improv classes. Uh, I think it's such like just the, just the tenets of yes. And, and just kind of rolling with it and being able to, uh, it, it's so good. And just, I mean, just even at a cocktail party or like, you know, an right. interview or just anything in life, just kind of having that, I think a lot of it's just like a mindset in life too, of just like this, yeah, we're just kind of going with it. And we're, we, you know, we're trying to make the best of this, whether it's good or bad and, you know, whatever comes our way. Uh, that's a great point. And it, it really, yeah, I love the idea. Everybody takes an improv class because we all, we get so entrenched, right. And I mean, like you just said, like we live in a very divided time. It's very challenging, right. To just have a conversation with people yeah, uh, about certain things. And it's, it's frustrating as hell. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like just i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and let's see where it goes or you know like i'll i'll i can hold you know it's one of the things i i it's like the first thing i want to teach anybody who's creative at this point is like you have to be comfortable with cognitive dissonance right you have to hold opposing ideas in your head at the same time yeah which includes the work you're doing is meaningless and it's the most important work you could do sure right because you've got to get your guts out but nobody may ever read it and nobody may give a shit. Yeah. Right? But you have to do it and, and you have to keep doing it and keep doing it. And the yes. And really helps that, you know? Um, it, so it is, it's critical. It's critical for anybody that wants to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I feel like there was a time when you could sort of be, uh, and yeah, there's always room for this, you know, like, I don't know, 
the the stereo the Hemingway stereotype right where it's just like all right I'm just a hard drinking yeah. author and I just say whatever the hell I want and blah 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 and um and I do think there's always room for that kind of creator kind of with or without the drink it doesn't yeah. matter but <laughs> um but I but that that ego is actually I think pretty rare that type of again I don't know if Hemingway actually had that ego but you know it's certainly credited that way but it's like you do need to to be able to navigate your own like emotional topography and you could I I can only do that by like cutting myself some slack and going yeah. well today I feel shitty but that doesn't mean I'm a terrible writer and I'm going to write anyway even if it's bad and you know blah 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 and uh, if if you're not taught those skills by somebody even if it's just kind of a generous teacher you know literally in grade school along the way uh, it's it kind of can kill you on the creative journey before you start you know yeah, well, what, I mean, what do they say that every child is born an artist, and eventually right. it's kind of taught beat out of that beat yeah. out of well. Yeah, you said it. I, yeah. I was trying to was lighten it up, but yeah, you. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and it's it's true. I mean, everyone kind of has that, and uh, you know, if it's not uh, fostered at certain times, or again, you know, a good teacher, or kind of, you know, or uh, I, I think a lot of it too is people have problems, especially now. Uh, being introspective and spending time with themselves and like, especially with, you know, this distraction in our pockets, these phones and stuff, we're so involved in other things. I mean, someone pointed out to me and I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of it myself, but I mean, you stand in a line for like two minutes at FedEx you it, you can't just stand there. You have to whip out your phone. You're just scrolling through Facebook mindlessly. You're not, you're barely consuming anything. You know, right. it's like, yeah, what happened to just you stand there and just kind of have a moment with yourself or have a moment with what's happening around you, you know, and yeah. um, it kind of takes away from people really getting into themselves and into them thought their own thoughts and being able to, you know, process them and then put them out also. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it, it, there's so I mean, so many articles are just written about how being bored is really the mother of invention. Right? Yeah, it's like it's during those times because your brain is uh, it's that beauty of our our computer brains, right? It's that there's always stuff processing in the background. Oh yeah. But if you overload the front part, it doesn't get there. You know, there's there there's a really good. I'm trying to remember where I read it originally, but there's a um, there's a thing about. Uh, like trauma victims, they've, they've figured out that if you, um, if you play Tetris within 24 hours of seeing something terrible, mm-hmm. right? Like you say, you saw a car accident. It was horrible. Yeah. If you play like a visually intensive game, it actually floods your cerebral cortex in a way that like, you don't then replay the image over and over and over because it, there's no room for it to process. It okay. just doesn't, you still have the memory. It's not like you erase your memory, right. but you don't get the same visceral connection. And the sooner you can do it, the better. It's actually kind of a crazy oh, thing. Interesting, yeah. But when you extrapolate that to normal life, if we're not spending any time quiet and we're constantly pumping light into our brains, right, right on those screens, we aren't getting that time. And um, it's a challenge. It's a it, I, like you said, I'm guilty of it too. You know, it's like how quickly am I looking at Instagram or doing whatever instead of just going, yep, no, no screens for a little while. Like, yeah. That's just, and I, for me, it's easy to do in the morning. Um, I actually avoid it all until I've kind of done something creative and, uh, whether it's a thing I'm actually working on or something planning for the future, yeah. or, you know, just pecking at notes. But, um, 
you know, if we use a computer, that's why I like writing stuff longhand too, honestly, because at least I'm not in a screen. It's just so tempting. Yeah, it's very yeah. easy to get wrapped up in it. And, and it, yep. you know, it, it uh, I mean, I can tell. I can tell when I've been on a screen too long in a day or if I, if I start too early in the morning, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I just, I'd like this buzz in the back of my eyes, you know, that just right. really starts <laughs> to, yeah, you know, like, and, uh, you, you know, I, I have these moments where I'm like, all right, I just got to go. Like I put on some Latin jazz and I walk around in the woods for like 45 minutes. I'm like, that alone is enough to just kind of have this little mm-hmm. reboot, you know? Yeah, uh, no, that that's actually, that's a good one. Uh, Cause uh, that's the sort of music actually I like to listen to too. I, lo- I love listening to stuff that's, um, I mean, jazz is fantastic for that. All sorts of different jazz, but yeah. I also listen to a lot of um, uh like even pop songs, but from languages I don't know. Oh right? yeah, so yeah. French stuff or Japanese stuff, uh, it just evokes different things, and I don't get caught up in the story. It's just kind of whatever washes yeah. over me, kind of thing. Yeah, and there's uh, like a uh, there's like a weird romance about not knowing what it's about, but still yeah. having this language that is, you know, it's not like. It's not like Russian where it's like this harsh, you know, nothing against any Russian listeners on the show. But, you know, like, you know, you're Italian or you're French or Spanish. It's like a little more flowery, uh, romantic. You know, it's literally the the love languages, as they say. So, yeah, Um, yeah, 100%. No, and I I used to find like, you know, mowing the lawn. I came up with so much stuff mowing the lawn. Like, it was ridiculous because because, again, you're only focused on one job. And it's not like riding a motorcycle, like mo- riding a motorcycle, you're really paying attention, right? right. So I might have ideas, but barely. Um, maybe if I rode all the time and it was second nature, it would give me that. But, um, but you know, mowing the lawn, you're like, well, it's a repetitive task I have to do. I don't have a phone while I'm doing it. I yeah. barely even, you know, would play music. And then that's when ideas would churn up. Oh it's yeah. It's like you need that stuff. Yeah, the I was telling uh my girlfriend the other day, oh, I when I was younger, I was in, you know, probably 14 and I worked with my grandpa doing landscaping and literally also all all I would do is he, I was the grunt. We'd get a literally like a truckload of just rocks just i mean 10 <laughs> 10 feet high probably you know 20 feet in circumference and i just shoveled them into a wheelbarrow walked them probably a couple hundred yards across the property and started dumping it into a ditch and i did it shovelful at a time and i'm like i did this for eight to ten hours a day for a week straight and i go it seems monotonous but that was some of my favorite times in my life because i literally came up with so many ideas during those times because all i have is just me in my head and I'm just thinking and swimming and all of a sudden these things, you know, you, you get these, it's, it's your moment to really just kind of break down what's in your head. You know, I mean, not just creative ideas, but philosophical ideas. And, you know, I mean, build so much of your own, again, I think just people are afraid to get in their own heads and really focus on, uh, you know, be quiet and kind of, you know, but I, I like, I wake up and I, you know, have my coffee. I do some yoga. I meditate every morning. Like those type of things are, I think, really important to focus. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I've fallen off my meditation wagon for a while, which is frustrating because this is the time where in the last two yeah. years I really, really could have used it. But, um, but when I was on the beam with it, especially like that wasn't so much like fertile creative time as much as like you said, it's just being present and kind of for me, it created that, that mental space where like, all right, some, now something explosive happens, whether it was news or whatever. 
uh, or, or personal life or any anything. And I could just put air in it before I reacted, right? Like that's what the meditation did for me. And because, you know, I, I, I have anger issues that pop up. Sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. Tom, like we all do. And, um, and that would be like one of my first responses is like fear or anger, right? It's like fight or flight stuff. Sure. And so, so to learn to put a little bit of breath in between that was huge and it really helped me um, for a lot of things. And then when you're alone and you're uncomfortable and you're like, oh, gee, now I'm thinking about this tragic thing in my life or I'm thinking about the state of, you know, the weather as we were talking about. Um, it doesn't have to scare you to the point where you'd rather retreat into Instagram. Yeah. You know, you can just sit with it and be like, all right, this is going to pass. What's going to come after it? Or is there a creative idea that I can build off of this thing or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's a good practice. Yeah. It gives you that mental capacity to kind of understand, uh, how things work and being able to process things instead of just kind of hiding from them or finding a way to conceal them you know, for right. late, for, for later, just, uh, that, that'll never, that, that old trick doesn't work bottled up. And then that just, you know, <laughs> uh, not so much. Yeah, yeah. That's where the alcoholic yeah. writer comes into play. Like you mentioned earlier. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I went through that phase. I, I decided that, uh, that wasn't working, you know, <laughs> yes. Same, same for me. <laughs> uh, so with, uh, uh, what was I going to, Oh, with, I wanted to ask you too, with, you know, with writing and the way things are going with, you know, comics and kind of everything in general, do you, and, and maybe, you know, as, as you guys produce stuff with Man of Action Studios, do you feel with they're looking for writers or with new projects, do you feel with everything being so IP heavy that it's completely changed the what they're looking for and how, you know, everyone's looking for like, hey, we want a, a franchise or, or we want to be able to make this into a movie, you know, something like that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and but all, all these things are always on a pendulum, right? So at the moment, the pendulum has swung heavy in the direction of pre-existing IP. And did, you know, is, did you write a book? Did you do whatever? Or we're doing Robin Hood for the 97th time, or, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it can be really frustrating. But every time that happens, it creates a vacuum, right? And then that vacuum starts to get filled with innovative people or people that are like doing low budget stuff or indie things or whatever. Yeah. And then it swings back in the other direction and all of a sudden they go like, oh, you know, Parasite. And you go, where the hell did this movie yeah, come right? from? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and people go ballistic or, or even something like Squid Game, you know, where uh, it becomes a phenomenon because people want the new. And uh, it, we, we were just talking about this the other day because I, I saw Spider-Man yesterday and um, and I will not spoil anything, I promise. But the oh, I saw we it too. It's about, okay. So yeah, oh, did you see yeah, it? I saw it last yeah. night. <laughs> oh yeah, I was not letting anything spoil that movie for me, so I went the instant I could. Yeah, that's I'm kind of the same way. Also, I have very few free nights, so if I have a free, I'm like, if I don't see it tonight, I won't be able to see it till probably after the New Year. So I'm like, I just gotta, just gotta go. No, you had to. <laughs> but we were talking about how trailers, uh, you know, they're engineered right to Shoot. give you a lot, and they all these studies have been done where it's like you're more likely to go see a movie that has a more complete trailer <clears throat> than one that's mysterious, mm -hmm. which seems counterintuitive, but it's what people want, right? Yeah. Like they want to know they're getting what they want. And so that's why these trailers are like, here's the whole damn movie. And, um, and we were just, I was talking to my son and his girlfriend, and we were talking about how the joy of discovering something cold 
it's it's so precious like yeah. to go see a movie and not like i don't know what parasite's about i'll check it i just heard it was good and then you're like mind blown by it yeah um you know how many times do you get like real surprises like in a in a good way in in life like why would you want to eliminate that but there's a lot of people that don't have an appetite for that and and unfortunately that's what studios they're risk averse right so yeah it's roi you know they're looking at you know they're looking at numbers and these tentpole but you know a, uh kind of franchise stuff i mean what, what i read this statistic the other day it's something like oh this is probably a year or two old because of you know covid everything's right. on a scale now but the uh uh like 70 or 80 percent of the movies that were made in like 2019 were uh, remakes or a franchise or a sequel, you know, very little original original content, you know, and it's yeah, it's just that makes sense financially. It's like why would we take a risk on uh, on anything when these yeah. you know make a bajillion dollars? No, exactly, and 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 there is also then the audience responsibility too, which I, I think people don't always realize it. That yeah, they have some, some say in it, right? Where, and I've certainly been guilty of this. It's like what comfort food sort of you know did you consume sure during especially the course of the last couple of years and for me sometimes you know i like i'll watch scott pilgrim versus the world any day at any yeah. time like my kids know <laughs> it's like one of my favorite movies uh it's i i watch it i don't know a dozen times at least um i love that thing and uh and i'm sure i watched it a, a couple times uh but i also you know found fleabag and knew nothing about fleabag mm -hmm. right but it's, i guess just pre-pandemic but, um, you know, so when you find, when you're willing to stretch out and try something new, then you get that, that great gift. But if we don't do it, then nobody's going to sell it. And for comics, it, it's especially challenging, I think, because obviously you've got the biggest forces in the American market, at least, obviously, mostly superheroes, yeah. right? Like, and then you've got Image, which falls into this very interesting sort of spectrum of types of stories, right? You mm -hmm. can have grounded stuff and you can have crazy stuff. And then there's everybody else. And, but even in the everybody else categories, you don't see like what you see in Japan, right? Like how many just romance books are there? Or how many sports manga or, you know, yeah. like we don't have those, that same scope of stories. So I think people feel like if they, if they want to tell those things, they can't. And it's the best time to tell those things, yeah. right? Like you may not find your audience today, but it's never been easier to put something out, whether it's, you know, we all like that tactile book, but you can publish anything online for free, essentially. Like yeah. it just takes sweat equity, right? And um, and people do find it. And I think, you know, platforms like, um, oh, what do you call it? The Webtoons, you know, where it's one of the biggest platforms where people are finding things. I mean, I for me to, get used to like vertical scrolling comics is a challenge but you see those comics getting millions of readers it's like wow that's that's really impressive because the audience wanted to find that yeah um, and so the audience is out there it, it definitely is the you know build it and they will come but you have to get it out there you have to do it in a smart way and it has to be quality right yeah, so yeah i mean a, you know they may not find it in their you know local comic book shop now right. it's it's different but um you know someone told me uh that kickstarter is now the number one publisher of comic books you know i was talking to uh wow. i don't know if you i don't know if you know who ryland grant is um he's a screenwriter he's, he's done some comic books too with scout and uh some other company i forget the name of it but 
he, yeah, we were talking, and he's like, yeah, the number one publisher of comic books in the world now is actually Kickstarter. Because I said Marvel, and he's like, well, actually. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, well, that makes sense, you know, because you're talking yeah. about, you know, I mean, I, I know Marvel's published internationally in places also, but Kickstarter, you know, literally it's just whoever's got it, wherever you have internet, you know, you can, you're essentially publishing comics on there, and they, um, yeah, you, you know, people are going to be able to find it. You have a global reach now, you know. Yeah, you have a global reach, and it's it's one of the few elements of the democratization of the internet that's actually, I think, working. Is that you have a direct pipeline to your audience, you know, and so you can direct to uh, to a consumer sell things. Yeah, um, you can cut out all the middle people as long as you're willing to do the work, which is not easy work. It's there's a reason you want to have somebody else worry about layouts and typesetting, right. and, you know, <laughs> uh, not actual typesetting, that's newspapers, but you know what I mean? Like all the mechanical stuff of getting a thing printed and keeping it in your garage, sending it out and all that stuff. Uh, that's why the fulfillment business is, is certainly a, you know, uh, a good one to be in. Right. All those Kickstarter campaigns, <laughs> but it's great. Like, you know, there, uh, and I think people like, uh, you know, like uh, Jimmy Palmiotti is like, he's such a great example and he's a you know, sweetheart. Like I, I really I love the guy and he, he has made his own, you know, Kickstarter empire. I feel like, you know, he's got his, his fans, they know exactly what he does and everything he puts up, people buy period. You know, yeah. it's like, it's fantastic. And it's, uh, it's very smart. He's also honest. He, he delivers the thing on time. He delivers what he promised. It's all that stuff. And, um, we can do that you know, if we're willing to take those risks and, you know, put in the time, yeah, um, which is great. You know, I, I can't complain there. And, and then it's just, what do you want? Like, if you want to write Spider-Man, that's a certain path. And it's, it's there's only one Spider-Man sure, yeah. books or whatever, but there's only <laughs> one way to get there. But if you want to tell your stories, there's so many options and kind of, kind of not really an excuse, you know, to give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, which is good advice. I mean, you could, that, I mean, is that kind of when you know when you were teaching your class? Is that kind of how you would frame it for your students too, moving forward for them? I mean, as they kind of come out of that class. Yeah, certainly. I mean, for for comics, um, you know, the the class in Denmark, they all have to do stuff that's original anyway. So they're they're walking out with a, an original graphic novel or an original pitch for um, you know for an animated show, basically. And when we were teaching at NYU, it was a little bit more because it was in the television department. And at the time, um, spec scripts were preferred. So uh, you wanted to have a solid Adventure Time script or whatever, like something you could put in somebody's hand. Now that pendulum, again, has swung. People would actually prefer to see original stuff, Okay, um, which is interesting. And, uh, and I've heard that across the board. But... Um, the spec work is definitely never bad. It's important to have I, uh, spec work, meaning an existing show. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah. doing, doing a, a show that you love and showing, I know how to do this show is, is never a bad thing, but I always say it's, it's like do one for them and one for you. Sure. You, know, you have to, you have to spend time developing your own ideas. Cause especially now, cause just what we've been talking about, it, it's easier than ever to make that stuff. Yeah. And um, the gatekeepers are, you know, they're the ones you choose that to be perfectly honest it's it's not really i mean there's cost and you know i i realize that it's challenging for people but it's 
it's a lot easier than it used to be yeah, no <laughs> to kidding. do any of this stuff. <laughs> well, and with, like we were talking earlier with IP stuff, I mean, if you can find something that hits, uh, you, what better than to own it? You know, I mean, you can write, yeah. you know, Spider-Man or Superman or whatever all day and, mm-hmm. you know, make a good living or, or enjoy it a lot. But also at the end of the day, you're, you're playing in someone else's sandbox. You don't get to take that exactly. home. You know? Yeah, 100%. It's funny. Just the end of this week, there's a Taco Bell commercial that just hit the air and it's got like, two cosplayers that see each other and they're both wearing the same costume and then they go to Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's characters from Saga, clearly. Right? Okay, yeah. And I was like, holy crap, like, did they just rip off, like, Brian and Pia? Like, I'm sitting there going, I'm, like, fuming. And then I happen to see the commercial again and, like, a little print at the end. It's like, characters from Saga by Brian Vaughn. That's Bieber. funny. Wow. And I was, and I was thrilled uh, so I didn't have to, like, say, hey, dude, you know your, yeah. <laughs> your character's been ripped off by Taco Bell. But, um, but uh, you know, presumably they got something for that. And it's, you know, because they control that stuff. Right. And there's no, there's no better feeling. Then it comes down to compromises and what are you willing to do to get something done and et cetera, et cetera. And that's a whole different just you know who do you want to get in the bed with part of the entertainment industry yeah yeah you know and some people are better than others but it's um but yeah it is the best and you know work i love working for the big companies i like we were saying we just both saw spider-man spider-man is like my all-time favorite character i love writing spider-man in any any iteration yeah Uh, but i know i'm doing it for fun you know what i mean like i I do it because i love it and I'm lucky enough to be in a position where that doesn't have to be my full-time job because if it was, it would be really challenging for me to do my own stuff as well. And, um, so, you know, having gotten to the point where I've done both, uh, I like, I like playing with the toys. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're fun toys to play with, but yeah, to be able to be able to have, uh, the ones you create and play with and decide ultimately everything you do with is kind of, I mean, which obviously, you know, you've, you've done with, uh, again, with Man of Action Studios. I mean, how much, how much time do you spend? What's the split? I mean, how much time is spent with that? How much time is spent writing for the mainstream books or, and how much time is spent maybe working on other things outside of those two, you know? It's, yeah, it's a great question. Cause it's, um, you know, as a company, we do a ton of different things. And then as individuals, we do right. a ton of different things. So yeah. you're, you're sort of keeping, okay, man of action afloat, how do we do that? Um, not just afloat's not the right term, but I mean, where do we want to invest our time collectively? Yeah. So a project like Sonic comes along, uh, we're like, okay, it's Sonic, fun, it's going to be on Netflix, cool, working with Wild Brain, which is a studio we worked with before, love those guys, you know, so it's like, it ticks all the boxes, so that becomes a project you want to do. And then it's like, okay, now we're developing a man of action project that is on on spec, right? We don't know if we're going to sell it, but we really believe in it. Yeah. We're going to take it out with somebody or whatever. So that that takes up, I would say, at least at least fifty percent of the week, if not more. Um, I personally, and, and if you're in production, then it's even more, right? So we're in production on Sonic. A little more, that, yeah, heavy heavy consuming time, sure. Yeah, then because then you're you're literally like, all right, now we're on this script and this animatic and 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 and. But because there are four of us, we can split, you know, divide and conquer, which is yeah. very, very cool. But um, but I make it a point for myself to try to do my whatever, you know, quote unquote, my thing is in the beginning of the day. 
um, cause I just feel better then. You know, I feel like, okay, I, cause it, the way we have a very like weird socialist version of how we work at man of action, like with, with very few exceptions, if, if you create something, one of the four of us create something, we all essentially own it. Okay. Um, it, it's very like democratized in that way where it's just like, because it's, we all spend the same amount of time, right? It's like time is the, is the element more than the product even or the money you make. It's yeah. like, because you never know, like, you know, Generator Rex was based on two comics that Duncan and I published, you know, back in the day. And it sat for 10 years and then became Generator Rex after, you know, so it's like that little bit of time that we invested putting, and I mean, it was a lot of time, but, you know, developing the series or whatever, but only two issues came out. And it's like, well, is that less valuable than somebody who just makes a pitch and gets sold into a cartoon on the spot? Yeah. It's like, no, it's kind of six, one half dozen, the other, you just, one had a 10 year window and the other one, yeah, and the other one just been 10 where you pitch it and they buy it in the room basically. Um, so that's just how we do things. But, but that being said, the, um, you know, like I, I've been working on a, a new graphic novel with Ken Nomura, who drew I Kill Giants. And um, it's finally, finally almost done, uh, which is, it's taken me a long time to do it. And uh, those are the first couple hours of the day. And even though it will be a man of action book, it is mine, you know, it's yeah. my thing. Sure. Giants was or something. And, but that, that beginning of my day could also be like photography. Like it could be something that has nothing to do with writing. Sure. Just uh, something. Yeah. You want to, for you that you want to do or. Yeah. Yeah. That for me is critical. And then once I have that kind of the rest of the days, it's gravy. Then it doesn't feel like, so, you know, sometimes I know it's hard to, it was like, Oh, when I have to write com- yeah. cartoons and comics, <laughs> but sometimes it feels like a job. And, um, and on those days, it's, easier to do the job part yeah you, like all right i put i put one in the jar for me like i'm i'm in good shape is it is it tougher with stuff that uh isn't you know i mean since it is such a uh collaborative effort at man of action studios is it tougher sometimes with projects that maybe aren't your baby as much to to get involved in you know uh not not because like you're like oh, i didn't create this i don't care but also like Maybe it's just not something that picks your interest as much, you know, as something else. Right. So it's a little tougher to get like motivated for like, all right, well, this, you know, thing, it's, uh, it's just not, it's just not there for you. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Right. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And we have, you know, we have safeguards, like you can opt out of things, which is cool. Um, because we don't ever want. Like, it's no fun for anybody if you're dragged along on a project and you're, like, kicking and screaming, leaving a blood trail, and it's like, okay, this is miserable. Um, So you can always opt out of something. But sometimes things come come across the desk and you're like, I have a really clear entry point that speaks to me on on an, like, emotional level. Uh, And sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I can just apply craft to this. Okay. And because I like, you know, I like structure, I actually go back all the time to the sort of the, the formalized training that I had. Um, I love looking at structure. I love breaking down characters. I, I love all the all the craft of it. Yeah. If I if I feel like I have something to add there, then it can make something that might be a little less interesting on its face more interesting because you're doing the, you know, my friend of mine calls it doing the math, but it's sort of doing the equations to go, this has actual dramatic 
tension and, and i really enjoy doing this so but that being said there's always you know there's always a redheaded stepchild you know <laughs> project that you're just like oh, okay here i go you yeah know, you try to get it done I, i'd be lying <laughs> if i said they were all roses as i as i get uh older and become a journeyman in this uh in this career i become pickier about the things that i do just because we get you know, that luxury too, kind of, which is a, l- a little bit. Although I, I would really argue that even for people that are just starting out, like um, I don't, I don't certainly buy the the like, oh, I, I I could just say no to anything, and magically somebody's going to pay me to do stuff. Like you can't do that. Sometimes you have to take jobs you don't want to take, and like you were saying, whether it's you know hauling rocks to be your survival job so you can do other things or taking a job on a less glamorous project because it gets you in the door, you know, all that yeah. stuff. That's, yeah. that's just smart. Right. Um, but if you know, something's like it goes against your core values or it just doesn't feel right. I mean, these things take a long time and, um, you know, an animated show at a minimum, you're on a year of production, you know, from the, st- the time you write it to the time it's finished. That's, you know, a big chunk of your life. So you have to really be okay with that. Yeah. And, um, and a comic, you know, certainly if you're doing it by yourself, writing it and, and you're working with an artist and, you know, you're, you're investing a lot of sweat equity. So you got to like it. And um, we, none of us got into this business to be miserable. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's gotta be, know? yeah, there was a love there that, you know, that's, uh, yeah. uh, or at least, or, I mean, for, for you, I guess you said you didn't, you really planned just kind of kind of happened for you did you grow up at like as a comic fan were you into it growing oh, up yeah. it was something it's something you wanted to do and didn't kind of see a path for or just it i mean how did that work out for you you sure yeah i i mean i definitely i read a lot of comics as a kid it was like the same pile of comics i had you know like inherited a bunch of comics from an uncle so i dog-eared crappy comics read a million of those and then uh i guess when i was in junior high is when i started buying my own comics mm-hmm. um and and like I said, I thought I could draw, so that was that was the way I was heading. Uh, I, I always wrote as well, but I was really more interested in being an artist. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I I remember applying. I actually have the rejection letter um, from DC where I sent in like an Elseworlds idea when Elseworlds was a thing. Yeah, and um, and a very nice rejection letter from Mike Carlin, which was very funny because it you know, later on working with him, I'm like, Oh, I got a nice rejection. <laughs> you remember when you hated uh, me? Uh, the- <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty great, but, but at least I, I was proud of myself because I tried, yeah. but yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think I would stand a shot. Like I just, like you said, I didn't know the path forward. And again, this is, you know, you figure you're going into late eighties, early nineties, you know, when I was in college and stuff, it, there was not a, I mean, the fastest way you could do something was by fax. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, it, there was no this democratization like I'm talking about. So it did seem like a really far off goal. Uh, once I, I was a knucklehead in, in uh, undergrad, uh, I went in for art and theater and had to graduate with philosophy because I <laughs> drank my way into uh, <laughs> to bad, bad straights. And philosophy was the quickest degree I could get no, to get hey. out of there and <laughs> yeah. uh, graduate on top. Uh, then I worked as a PA uh, in the city, uh, my, my now brother-in-law, uh, was a commercial producer and we were buddies, um, cause I was dating his sister, but we, we became very good friends and, um, and he would just give me those 
you know, put me up as a PA. And so I got to see behind the scenes stuff. And I, I really loved working actually with um, the props, you know, and, and I was kind of an art department guy. It was like, oh, this might be a path to visual effects. Yeah. Kind of scratches the theater itch and the sculpture itch and all the stuff I used to do. Uh, but I'm also not built for carrying very heavy things. Uh, <laughs> and so after about a, after like four months, when you're a PA, you kind of know the drill, right? Like you, and then you make decisions and you go to all specialize here, or I want to be a career PA or whatever. And, um, so at that time, then I decided, well, why don't I take a stab at writing and I'll, I'll try to get into NYU. I don't know why I picked NYU. I guess, cause I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to go to California. So I was so, like, well, yeah. it's Columbia or NYU were the big writing programs. And uh, I just always loved NYU. I, so I, that was where I applied and um, and was shocked to get in. You know, we were all like, there were, there were 20 of us in the grad program. We all assumed that we were number 21 and somebody got hit by a bus. Yeah. Right? Like none of us felt <laughs> like we belonged there. Um, but uh, once I was there, then it was these, you know, these young guys reaching out to start the Stanhattan Project. And I never in a million years would have thought I was going to do that. I was really there to be a screenwriter. And that was my focus. But then to have a job, like to actually start working and getting paid to write, you know, that's the best thing you could ask for. Right. right. I've just spent this all this money. I spent three years at NYU and doing all this stuff. So um, so I was very, very grateful to have that opportunity. And and I it never occurred to me that it was like a derailment from like the dream uh of, of writing movies because i was i was like well i'll just write movies eventually um but then you know if you're a warm body in comics they throw a lot of work at you yeah that- so <laughs> yeah i was doing like four or five books a month and um and loving it and and thrilled to to have those opportunities uh and then very quickly you know that i got daredevil and then a deadpool and x-men and you know it, it, it all came at me very quickly and it kind of took me off of that screenwriter sure. for a while. Well, yeah, I mean, but, if you're uh, getting, if it's working, you know, if what you're doing is working and you like it, what's the, you know, you, there's exactly. not really a lot of reason to, to change. Yeah, but, 100%. And it was fun. And at the time, like, you know, now again, like the pendulum swings where it was kind of like that was the major leagues, right? And I don't know that that's exactly the same now. Like we often talk to people about like, you could you can cut your teeth on some of these big characters and then try to make your way with your original IP as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Where it was like you were doing indie books and then you got to work on Green Lanterns, you know? Um, and Steve Siegel always busts my chops cause you know, he got, he got the X-Men the same time I did. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were on the books at the same time and he had already been in comics for like 10 years doing independent books and working his way through and, and pecking around a vertigo and all this kind of stuff. And then I'm just like a punk ass who came out <laughs> yeah, of school. Yeah. And he's like, I, I, I wanted to hate you immediately. Yeah, you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, you know, they asked me. I was like, I'll, I'll call you back after the weekend. I'm fishing. Let me think about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but luckily we, you know, we hit it off. But, but I was, it was just right time, lucky, you know, all right place, all that good stuff. Um, and, and Marvel was also kind of in turmoil. And so to be a young person not knowing, yeah, necessarily better. Who's a good person? You know, you know slip into the job. Well, I mean, that, that is that's an interesting point. And I was going to ask about that because I mean, that was a time when Marvel was really in uh, 
some interesting dire straits. I mean, almost bankrupt. I mean, there was a point when they're yeah. like, like, yeah, maybe DC is going to buy Marvel. And you're like, what the yes. fuck? Like this, <laughs> like, this is, uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, what a, what a weird time to work for the, com- you know, technically the biggest comic book publisher in the world who's on the verge of going out of business any day, you know, potentially. Right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, was that, was that a weird, I mean, were there, did it, I mean, maybe you didn't know cause you'd never been, it's not like you, you watched it happen. You're, you're, you're in on the ground floor of when they're, right. you know, when they're selling the fax no, but, machines. But to, what was really <laughs> obvious was, um, I mean, there were a few things like I obviously, you know, mostly I'm just wide eyed and excited for the, for the most part, you know, very few, I had very few sort of early scenarios where I was like, well, this, this is not what I hoped it was going to be. Yeah. You know, it was like, you wrote cool stuff. I worked with great artists. It was like, holy shit, this is, this is the best version of, you know, what I'm doing. It's like, you know, and then to get the X-Men like a year into this, you know, it, it was crazy. Um, but you, because, uh, James Felder is the guy who got me into comics. He was an editor uh, for a long time. Now, now he actually uh, teaches at NYU. So we yes, kind of trade swap places. a little. All right. Yeah, but he, um, you know, he he was definitely had a lot of obviously insight. He had been at Marvel for a while. So once kind of the bankruptcy was happening, you could just tell people like a there were bloodbaths all the time. So people would be getting fired, and it was. It was production teams and, and bullpen, you know, members, like back when there was an actual bullpen um, and it sucked, you know, but these weren't people that I had been working with for a long time. And then you realize people were making decisions out of fear. And yeah. that that's ultimately what happened with us on the X-Men, you know, where that's why Steve and I quit. You know, I mean, we're the first people to ever quit the X-Men, um, to my knowledge, at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, because editorial had they felt that they had to make certain choices about how they dealt with the books and dealt with us creatively, um, which basically meant rewriting stuff without letting us know. And we were like, we will do anything. I'll stay up till five in the morning. I don't care. Just let me be the one to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You asked me to do this book, you know, you put it in my hands, put my name on it. You know why, if I'm, you know, trust me to do the job you asked me to do. Yeah, exactly. But you know, so people were making, they were making, unfortunate decisions that that i think were a lot you know they were deeply rooted in fear and especially people that were part of the institution and that kind of thing so you did feel it yeah um, and you've certainly felt it creatively um because like a big risk then suddenly became scary to people um we didn't necessarily have like the you know like the basically marvel knights like we didn't have somebody who was willing to go like yeah, do this. Like, take this take gigantic a swing. Yeah, right. Because I feel like Marvel Knights is actually a turning point. Definitely, for the company. Yeah, you know? yeah. That that you um, know, bringing in. Yeah, when I mean, they they took the chance to bring in people like you know Bendis and Mac and people. You know, I mean, Casada obviously you know kind of oversee this thing and these indie guys who kind of breathe new life into storytelling. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that that was a big swing, you know, and and certainly big swings have happened in comics before, but. At that time, at the company, it was you know it was a it was challenging. To Very sort of against that. status quo for some for something like Marvel, right? Well, right. and you know, like one of the dark times I remember when um, you know so Deadpool, Deadpool was a book that nobody expected to go past six issues. Yeah, like, that was flat yeah. out. That was the you know the the scenario, and I was lucky enough to to get it because I was more focused on like sort of the comedy and and the dark comedy elements of it, and other pitches were 
more about him being like a grim mercenary and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we did the book and nobody was really paying attention except people were reading it and enjoying it. And that was really great. And then when, when all this shakeup started happening and, and the shit was hitting the fan, like there were, there were days where, uh, I, I don't, I won't name names, but like I had to go and like review my scripts with somebody to tell me if they were funny or not. And this was a person I did not think was particularly funny. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was so painful. And, and that was like a dark moment. I'm like, you know, here as a team, like, you know, uh, Matt Idelson was the editor and, and, you know, working with Ed and, and Pete Woods and, and then, uh, you know, it's just like, we're building all this stuff. And then I'm being told like, well, I don't know if this is funny. I'm like, oh, dude. Yeah. Like that was that was painful. It's like that this has been working for you know 18 months without your pay, you paying attention. Yes. Like I don't think you focus. You now are are the one that's making it work. So yeah, and it, and that but that was a direct correlation to the the bankruptcy. Sure. Where it's like, oh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna circle the wagons. We're gonna bring this person in to oversee everything on a creative level. Forget about production. You know. So yeah, it was it was a curious time, um, but um, but then after we after we quit the X Men, then I was like, well, I don't I don't know what to do. I just quit the number one book, so yeah. I think I have to leave Marvel. And, <laughs> I, think uh, I think I just put my stuff in a box and go. Kind of, yeah. And and luckily, my wife, um, she has always been incredibly supportive. She's really, you know, I, I'm always amazed at couples that are like two creative people. Uh, my wife is very grounded. Uh, she's the one who like can get shit done. Like she's, she's really, and much more empathic than I am. And, um, she was pregnant. Our, our daughter was like three months away from being born. And I was like, I think I have to quit. Like, I think I have to get out of this contract, which I still had nine months on. And, uh, and she was like, okay, go ahead. And I'm like, Thank really? You. Like, this seems highly <laughs> irresponsible. And, uh, she's like, no, I, I have faith. You'll get work, you know? And that was the greatest gift. Uh, she could have given me. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. That, 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 that led to so much stuff. I mean, it led to working at DC and cracking the door open there. It led to, to MREX, which became generator Rex. Like that, uh, uh, those things would not have happened if she was like, no way, suck it up. Yeah. Right? More yeah months, hang you know? in there. Would the, have been a whole different world. The, uh, um, I want, I want to, uh, circle back and then I want to, I want to, I have some questions on what we were just talking about too, but moving forward with DC, but circle back to the X-Men thing and uh, Deadpool a little bit. Um, Cause I remember the time, like X-Men has always been my thing. That was my favorite book growing up. And I, you know, I was uh, definitely remember that transition and you guys on the book and then, and then abruptly not on the book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there was always that kind of, yeah, the, the, even back then when there wasn't really like internet like there is now, or it was, you know, the, the idea of uh, editorial kind of making that impossible for you guys to do the book. Did you and Steve kind of decide to stand up together and leave? Or did you, is it was one of those things where you both look at each other like, I want to quit. Hey, I want to quit too. Or did you guys just kind of <laughs> talk about it and be like, yeah, we should have this kind of unified front of like, this is an issue. Yeah. I mean, we spoke, I mean, you know, despite the fact that he hated me uh, before he met me, uh, we became fast friends. And um, and when it was heading in that direction, I mean, we talked all the time because we were just trying to keep the books coordinated. Sure. And then we'd have these, you know, giant summits um, uh, like in the in the almost literal X mansion out on Long Island. 
uh, which was actually really fun. It, it was a it was a mansion that had like a, uh, what do you call it? Like sort of a hotel complex put in. It was it was just built for conferences. Oh wow! But it looked like Professor X's. That's mansion. amazing. <laughs> uh, it was really That's fun. Airbnb like we had a ever. lot of times there, and that was pre bankruptcy, and then then those type of summits stopped. Sure. But um, yeah, because <laughs> like, we're meeting at McDonald's. Uh, yeah, bring, yeah bring, bring money. Uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but we we just we both were frustrated, and you know, you get to that point where. Even when people have good intentions, because I, I actually don't, you know, even though I'm uh, very blunt about it, I don't actually harbor any resentments against those guys. Like they, they were trying to make the best of a challenging situation, and so they were doing the best that they could. I just wish it had gone differently. And, yeah. But when you're the creative in the moment, you just you feel second guess. It's it's like what you said before. Like you hired me to do this job, let me do the job. When all of a sudden that's not happening, you start questioning yourself. It really does a lot to undermine your confidence, which, you know, for creative work, you did go back to the beginning of the conversation, like the yes and of it all, all of a sudden it becomes really hard to do that because now you're like, well, what if that isn't good? What if it's not going to pass? And da, 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 da. you're not taking the risks. And, and we were both feeling that. So yeah. we were both feeling this. Um, I'm not going to use the word abuse, but yeah, it, well, we were both feeling the pressure sure. of we can't deliver the best possible version of these stories, so we need out. And it was um, it was kind of funny because we had just been sent, uh, you know, the X-Men, again, another gift. Like, you're on the number one book, all of a sudden people want to know who you are, and you get invited all over the globe. And like I said, my wife is pregnant, so she never came along, but it was like I got to go to cons in Spain and you know, uh, in other places in Europe and then uh, Australia. And Steve and I are like going to Australia, going like, we're, we literally are quitting. Like, yeah. are we thinking, like, this is terrible. <laughs> we kind of announced it at this con uh, in Australia. We're like, thanks for bringing us, but uh, we're probably not going to be on. Yeah, what's, what's happening in six months? It's like, fuck if I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask Chris Claremont. Yeah. They're probably bringing him back. Uh, <laughs> It was it was a really <laughs> odd time, but long answer to your question, we we were very united in that, and um, and it was great, and it was good to have, uh, you know, a partner in crime, yeah, to sort of feel like this is how it's going to go, and and that we weren't crazy, you know, like that it was sure. um, it was the right thing for us to do. Yeah, um, yeah, it's got to be. But it was scary. It's got to yeah, it's got to be tough feeling like you're you know like we talked about earlier, I mean, writing is, is kind of, you, it kind of has to be an unbridled passion that you just let happen. And if you are that worried about, you know, an editor rewriting and how much they're doing on, you know, uh, fixing quote unquote, your work afterwards, you start to, yeah. Wonder is like, yeah, maybe, you know, instead of just writing with passion, writing what you think you should be writing, you're now thinking about what you think they think you should be writing. And yeah. it, it, you're just not writing purely anymore and not writing, you know, your best. Uh, right. hundred so. percent. And, you know, just to say it again, say it out loud, like I love collaborating. I really do. I'm not, I've never been a, um, you know, capital A author, like author. Uh, I prefer having a, a strong editor. I really do. Like I, I've been lucky that, you know, some of the times I've worked without a, a net, uh, it's, it's been fine. You know, it's worked out. Okay. But I prefer to bounce things off of people because sure. I, I don't have all the answers. And you spend so much time in your own head, right? Like it's it's important for me to get that outside eye. But the the editors that I've I've been very lucky to work with in the mainstream books, especially, generally 
have followed the philosophy of I want to help you tell the story you are trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Once you say, I really want to tell the story about, you know, anger and, you know, how anger makes us stupid and love makes us strong. And then they'll look at a scene and go, is this really helping you or is this undermining your theme? And then right. you go, oh, shit, I didn't see that. Like, that's that's the editor I want. And I've been very, very lucky to have that. So uh, really for most of my mainstream career, I, honestly, to this day, you know, like working with Nick, Nick Lowe over uh, on the Spidey books, uh, he's fantastic at that, you know. So, yeah. uh, so I, I've been really lucky. I, I And I do prefer it. And one of the nice things about Man of Action is that we do have each other for that, too. Even if even if somebody doesn't know the nuts and bolts of my script, I can call them up and be like, this is where I'm jammed. Yeah. And I'll go blah, 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 blah. And then they'll just say, well, what about X, Y or Z? And then problem solved. Yeah. It's amazing uh, how easily creatives can get blinded on their own project. You can read it a million times, but you're also reading what you wrote and not uh, absorbing it as like a outside you know, an outside party. So it's, yeah. And that, and that's, and I just think it's important to say, because it's not, I'm not anti-editor and I'm not anti-editorial. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you're playing with somebody else's toys. So that it, it comes with a dinner, you know, like I, I can't do whatever I want with the X-Men. I can't do whatever I want with Spider-Man and that's okay. It's, it's knowing what the lanes are. And in that particular instance, the lanes changed on us because yeah. it did get to the point where it was, they they were going to tell us the stories and we were going to execute them. You're just scripting at that point, essentially. Yeah. And once that was offered to us, that was that was the straw that broke the back. It wasn't it wasn't so much. I mean, the rewriting and stuff, like I said, undermined some of the confidence. But but once we hit that point, which, again, is a workable model, right? It's how TV works. You have a sort of room and people break the stories. and Then you get told now do this. You put your flavor on it. But yeah. it's super collaborative. Um, that just wasn't what we were hired to do. So that was why we parted Left, ways yeah. in that particular case. But I, I, I love collaboration and I really, and, and obviously with artists, I mean, that's the best. Um, but a good editor is, man, that's, that's gold. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that because they're, they're so versed in, like you said, just helping facilitate what you're trying to do, you know? Yeah. So the, uh, did, was there anything on that book that you, wanted to do that you never got to there was something you like any big plans anything that you had like oh there's so many yeah <laughs> i mean there really were a lot and uh it's funny because recently i i i didn't i have not been following the story but i'm under the impression like didn't isn't burn posting like yeah on his own website right yep, like, he's yeah, doing his own like <laughs> yep yeah so yeah we we've joked about doing that as well but um no we had a lot of stuff that we were setting up that we didn't get to and I also really liked the characters. You know, I was on on adjectiveless X Men, so mm-hmm. I had I had the weirdo characters like Maggot uh, and Doc and uh, Marrow, and I love those characters. Yeah, like, I really I love the classics, obviously, but I really enjoyed doing the the new characters. And there was plenty of stuff we wanted to do with them. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm uh, not being coy about, it, but but to the degree that there are just some ideas that we wanted to do that. I still keep kind of close to the best because it's not impossible or implausible that there could be a day where those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully you get that opportunity. The, uh, and, I'll uh, take it to my grave. If not. Not, yeah. Just, or just in, you know, 20 years, you and burn just making these crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what now, uh, again, with, uh, we touched on Deadpool earlier. Obviously that's something you, you wrote for a long time. And again, kind of nobody, kind of this redheaded stepchild that came out of nowhere. And I think nobody expected to ever, uh, 
kind of be this pop culture icon that it is now, obviously. Um, and and I don't know how much, uh, whether it's uh, uh, modesty or just uh, or what, but um, I mean, I got to say, like, I feel like that series written by you is really what catapulted Deadpool on the trajectory into stardom. You know, I mean, obviously, Liefeld and Nicienza created him and there was... Uh, but he's just kind of scattershot here and there. And I mean, you really fleshed him out and gave him a personality and like you said, leaned into that comedy aspect. Oh, thanks. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I really do. And I, I love that book. I mean, it's, you know, as much as, and I love Deadpool, of course. I mean, it's a cornerstone of my career. Yeah. And the first time where I got to, I think really flex all the muscles that I, I enjoy for writing. Cause I love comedy. I love really dark, dark character building you know, Deadpool sort of gave me the opportunity for all that stuff. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, when you cut to 20 years later and they make a movie and it's like, Oh, that's our origin story. And Oh yeah, there's blind Al. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's Ajax and all that stuff. It's, uh, it is the double-edged sort of, you know, like, Oh, that's very cool. And of course, like, Oh, I wish I had been there to write that stuff. Um, but the, uh, obviously I, I actually love, you know, Warnick and Reese or, uh, really talented screenwriter, so I don't I don't begrudge them <laughs> having the job, um, but it is uh, it's funny actually way 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 back in the day just to go back to the screenwriting and comics diverting me from screenwriting, Avi Arad they they were trying to get a Deadpool movie off the ground like in the whatever early nineties and mm-hmm. um, that early huh yeah oh wow yeah. that's because yeah. it was it was one of the characters I don't know if they had sold them off yet. And, okay. Um, and I forgot who the development company was, but there, you know, he called me up and was like, "You're the only person I can imagine writing this movie." I was like, "Well, all right, thank you, Avi Rod." And then uh, the only script I had was a romantic comedy. I didn't because it was like my thesis script. Or okay. Something. Like I didn't have any action, and and because I had been working in comics, I didn't work on any specs. So I like give them this kind of like you know, here's my like dopey romantic comedy. And then, of course, crickets, you know, so uh, I, I, that opportunity did not manifest. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the contributions that we all made and, uh, you know, the team, everybody, I mean, everybody really gave their all on that book. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Matt, uh, Matt Eilson for taking that risk on me, you know, as a, as a new person. And being willing, you know, sometimes I look back, I forget sometimes about like what we actually got away with in that book. Sure. And um, when the movie was coming out, there'd be all these articles about Deadpool. It's like, remember that time Deadpool got, you know, assaulted by by Typhoid Mary? It's like, oh, yeah, that was really dark. Like, <laughs> that was incredibly dark stuff. Um, but it was it was like the little the little engine that could and. Uh, and then, then it did well, and and then as it was hitting that three-year mark for me, the the sales were in this kind of modulating state where we would keep getting close to cancellation. Yeah, and they would say, "Hey, you should wrap it up." So I'd start to wrap it up, and then fans writing actual letters, physical letters, would save the book, and they would go, "Oh, let's let's try a couple more issues." And after a while, too much of that just becomes challenging like you can't yeah you can't set up a new story right yeah because you don't know how much more yeah. road ahead of you got so yeah and and i mean you could tell at the end of my run i mean we were just getting into this there was no wade wilson like you know wade wilson was t-ray and uh, yeah deadpool so who the hell is deadpool and you know that's where we were going and um and you know it's perfectly fine that the people didn't continue with that this but uh 
but at, at that point I couldn't stick with it. And then of course it's, you know, as much as I like to, uh, I, I do enjoy it and, and, um, it always makes, you know, it is a, 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 a humbling thing to have somebody say like, Oh yeah, you created the, you know, the voice of the character or whatever. But the, uh, after you, leave a book and then it continues forever yeah you realize like oh I, maybe i wasn't that important <laughs> so that's also a good right side well i mean there. you know i think but uh, to to go back and maybe uh, uh to your horn a little more that book that maybe wouldn't be continuing forever if you wouldn't have laid that groundwork you know because i mean you know really that i mean i again i just went back and read it your whole whole run on it uh uh and the amount of like in a, this is coming from a professional comedian, stand-up comedian, like the amount of laugh out loud moments in that book is it, there's there's multiple per issue, you know, and you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that that really is in and, and with the dichotomy of kind of that, the darker side, the subversive side and, and you know, a little edgier, but also kind of coupled with the dichotomy of Ed McGinnis's mm-hmm. art was so. Just so again, I think that was very different for Marvel at the time. And again, it could be, you know, like we said, could kind of where no one was was really paying attention. So you just kind of like, hey, we're just we're we're going. That was you swinging for the fences. You guys kind of doing your right. thing because you had the opportunity to, and it worked. Yeah, hundred. I mean, it was definitely like, uh, you know, in the way that you tell anybody, it's like you got to write the thing you want to read. Yeah, we were doing the book we wanted to read. Yeah, like by a long shot, and Ed. Yeah, Ed was the perfect like Trojan horse for that stuff too, and and then and Pete as well subsequently because yeah. he's still keeping in a very open, bouncy style. Um, we you do real dark shit, but you do it with Ed McGinnis doing his open style. He's I think matured in a way as an artist where his stuff has a little more grit to it. But in the in the earlier stuff, it's like. You have no idea, like, oh, this is going to be a fun little yeah, adventure. little little ditty, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's brightly colored. It's you know yeah. thick lines. It's a little cartoon. You know, it's got this whole bubbly feel, and then that's you know the writing doesn't always have no. that same effect. And that was, and you know, when we when Walter took over the book, it was kind of funny because then he's like like underlining like how dark it is, right? Because yeah. his style was very like you know, quote unquote image style at the time, right? Like more detail oriented and more realistic looking. And uh, the grit was on the page as well. And so you wind up with like, damn, that's dark. Like I was talking about the, um, when Blind Al tells a story about like Deadpool killing guard dogs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a big full, uh, you know, monologue that she has. And because of the way it's drawn, it's like, oh man, that's dark. <laughs> You know, if Ed had done it, it would, it would have come off as a lot bouncier. Yeah, um, but it was, but it was great because that character, um, and and because of what what we had done before, like he has the bandwidth that you could you could do that. You could throw that pendulum back and forth, which I, for me, is is the most fun version of that character. So when people only go for the comedy, or only go for the dark stuff, or only go for the bloody. I'm I'm personally less interested in the character. I like that the full the balance, yeah. The, yeah, the and full I, smorgasbord of what you can do with them. I think that's one of the things that's kind of been, and it's you know, with any character that gets overexposed and you know they f out, uh, you kind of do everything with. And now now Deadpool just kind of became this comic relief, and st- and there's not really a lot of 
that depth happening anymore. So, uh, you know, but yeah, I just making them a bajillion dollars. So what are you going to, yeah, yeah but there, I, there are definitely people that, you know, not like I, uh, there are people, you know, like Gail Simone's run. Yeah. I know it's Gail like Simone. really strong. And as far as like doing this, this range of sort of emotion, um, and there are plenty, I mean, she just comes to mind right away, but there are plenty of people that sort of, you know, like Jerry, I think Jerry Duggan's version also, uh, is one of the more modern versions that I really dug that, uh, that I felt like he was, he was hitting a lot of notes. Um, and then also having a comedy background and stuff. Yeah. Like that, that obviously never hurts, but, um, but you know, Deadpool, it's funny. He's, um, I don't know if he's bulletproof, but I feel like he's like, we talk about bulletproof characters, like Batman's essentially bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Like you can do, it doesn't matter if you do brave and the bold, musical batman yeah or 66 batman or like there's a preschool show coming out with batman and the bat wheels and yeah. he's talking to the cars <laughs> like you do that or you do chris nolan or you do the new you know the new uh batman that's coming the out. matt reeves version or the whatever matt reeves yeah. one, I, you know i saw the trailer again and I, i'm actually looking forward to it but just him walking into bullets and i'm just like damn you yeah know, like, <laughs> that character will endure right, right. I mean, he's been around for 80, 80 years Deadpool, oddly enough, kind of does that. And it was the, um, I, I think I, when, when Deadpool started showing up in cosplay, not just people dressing as Deadpool, but wearing a Deadpool mask under a Stormtrooper mask. Okay. Like, this idea that Deadpool was infiltrating cosplay yeah. like, in a weird way, like that, that the meta would carry over from fourth wall breaking into the way people were designing their costumes. That was like an eye-opening moment, I think, for me about what that character could be for people. Yeah. So, so yeah, on the one hand, he, he is kind of like a perky mascot. Um, but th- that's not stopping anybody from giving him that, that gravity again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's one know, of the so. few characters I think that have been in created in the last, Oh, I don't know, 30 plus years that, that is going to be timeless, you know, that will be remembered. I mean, no, you know, uh, not a lot of people, you know, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, people are going to be talking about Darkhawk in 40 years a lot, you know, or, or you know, I mean, despite the current book or whatever. I, like, right. it's just one of those characters, that, yeah, you know, come and go. But, like, Deadpool, maybe maybe Harley Quinn, and then maybe, maybe Miles Morales. Those are kind of the three characters that, and even Miles seems like that might be a, a little tougher road given what's happening right now, I think, but you know, maybe, you know, what, what the hell do I know? Uh, no, I, I think, no, I think you're right. I think miles is going to last. I mean, I think, uh, also I, I feel like Ms. Marvel was one of the most important characters, you know, of the 21st century without a doubt. So it'll just be interesting to see kind of how she winds up being perceived in other media. I yeah. think is going to, is going to really be the, the question, but, um, but no, Miles is uh, Miles. I think is here to stay. Um, yeah, it seems like it. The, there seems like a little dip right now, but you know those happen too. You know that it's it's yeah. a it's a great it's a it's a character that uh, hopefully ideally does does hang around for a long time. Um, and now, I mean, uh, speaking of Spider Man, you're uh, writing Spider Man, writing nonstop Spider Man, which I heard is coming to an end. You're going to be but doing a different Spider Man book. Is that right? Yeah. So. Uh, the beauty of uh, the beauty of the pandemic and, and how this all <laughs> happened. I mean, it's funny. This is the longest the longest twelve issues I've ever <laughs> tried to work on. Um, we started the thing uh, before all this chaos 
a lot of things got put on hold. Yeah. You know, like the whole industry. Um, Chris Bacello uh, was rocking on it and doing a fantastic job. Uh, he he unfortunately did have some uh, medical issues over the course of time. Um, uh, luckily, came out fine on, on the other side and stuff. But we basically had always intended that there was going to be this because th- this is the thing I was talking about thematically. That's um, you know, anger makes you stupid and love makes you stronger. Uh, the the arc of that story was watching Spider-Man get more and more like pushed into an anger place to the point where he made this really terrible decision. He overestimate, uh, under, underestimates Zemo and then he gets zapped, you know, with the, with the A+. And then he was always going to become Savage Spider-Man. Okay. We just thought this was going to happen in one continuous series <laughs> with the, you know, the logo shredded open and it would say Savage instead of nonstop and all that kind of stuff. So once all of these shenanigans, and then you know, the integration uh, with Penguin and everything, you know, all the business stuff that's just behind the scenes, yeah, um, just made sense to have then a break and kind of restart it. But it is it is the continuing story. So um, yeah, the uh, it's always the the problem when you pick a title. Uh, is like if you're gonna call something nonstop Spider-Man, I was like, <laughs> it's... oh, we're gonna get pilloried for this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because we are gonna miss, and I know we're gonna stop it. <laughs> yeah, good, good thing that wasn't an early title for uh, uh, Rob Liefeld Extreme Studios. Uh, nonstop, uh, uh, it comes out every seven years uh once every blood moon uh which also a a popular extreme character uh a blood moon spelled with a u uh <laughs> the blood and moon is spelled with a u it's you know whatever uh <laughs> um but yeah but we are but the savages uh i believe it i believe it comes out in february okay um, which is it is the continuation of the nonstop story because I, I you know there's a giant obvious cliffhanger uh, at the last, you know, issue of, of nonstop and, uh, and it picks up in Savage. And Chris is on that book also with you? No, Chris, Chris is not, unfortunately. Um, I, I love, I love Chris. Um, no, the, uh, Gerardo Sandoval is, oh, okay. Uh, okay. is doing it. So, Got it. um, yeah, Chris is, Chris is onto some other stuff, but, um, uh, but you know, he's somebody I've worked with for many, many years and I've known he was on that trip to Australia actually. Okay. Uh, that Steve and I were on. Well, he um, was on X-Men at the time with, or is yeah. he on Uncanny? He was, or he was on Uncanny. And Kubert yeah. was on X-Men with you. Is that right? Yeah. I had, I had, uh, Adam and I had Carlos, uh, Pacheco. Pacheco. Okay. Yeah. Which was just like gold. Like yeah. You, can you can't you go wrong. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were just, uh, and, and really great guys. Um, but, uh, and then, um, yeah. So that, so that'll pick up and then we'll sort of do, you know, play out the rest of the story and uh and i'm excited i mean it's really it's it's fun and crazy and um and it's still that kind of pacing that nonstop follows it's sure it's obviously not quote-unquote real time but i mean it's just this whole story takes place barely in the course of you know two days or three days or something yeah it's, it's, it's really kinetic which for me was a fun way to just structure a story as part of nick's whole pitch is like you know I want to do something that's like 24 with Spider-Man. It's like all action because it sort of to counterbalance the stuff that was going on in the main book, which is, which was a little bit more of the soap opera, which I love. I love all this, you know, any Spider-Man soap opera stuff is good. Uh, it's part of the DNA of that character. Yeah. Um, but it, 
but he just wanted to have one that was just really bombastic and ridiculous. So that's been the, the goal. So it's just how many, how many kind of like, oh shit, weirdo twists and turns can we throw into, you know, this story? Yeah, it's and, nice uh, to have that balance, you know, in the, in the titles where you have that different options if you want to, you know, which way, what you're looking for out of it. So yeah, hundred percent. And uh, ironically, it's like plot plots, like the thing I like writing the least, right? Like action sequences and stuff are, are often the least interesting to me. And that's where I sort of lean on the artist. And I'm just like, I hope you do some really cool stuff. <laughs> you know, like I try to choreograph it, but a fight scene can be a fight. Scene. You know, it's, it's really more about the themes that are in this book and, you know, Zemo, especially when you see him in Falcon and Winter Soldier, like my Zemo is much sassier than that Zemo. But, yeah. But Zemo in terms of being this, like he's kind of charismatic, but he's a horrific, you know, white supremacist and all this kind of stuff. Having that be the guy that Spidey is stuck with and is just pushing his buttons and pushing his buttons. Uh, really, the whole point of that series, it just brought up a lot of, it was a lot of emotional turmoil that I myself was going through during the course of the last bunch of years and a way to sort of manifest itself in the, uh, that, that stuff in a superhero story. Yeah. You know, like where you could go, like, let's talk about some of these bigger issues, but under the guise of a superhero story. And I think when you, you know, sort of see what the ultimate plan of the, you know, the Immaculatum are, uh, it's, uh, God, that was the worst Long Island accent version <laughs> of Immaculatum. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, that there, it was sort of a different way to sort of mess with the Hydra uh, idea. Like, you know, we know what Hydra is going to be about. We know what like a white supremacist is going to be about. Yeah. What happens when you have people that want to, that literally believe that you know the only way to have peace is to separate the races yeah you know, what is that what does that mean um and it's a pretty you know i hope i hope timely for people but i hope uh still fun yeah yeah is sort of the goal yeah i mean that's that I, I love that kind of that explanation too because you know it's as someone who's always again loved comic books and like recently uh got my girlfriend into reading some and into the movies and stuff. And I kind of had to explain to her, I'm like, no, this is, there's, there's a deeper level than just like guys in spandex fighting. You know, there is a story there, you know, and I kind of explained to her the base of, you know, the origin of, uh, the X-Men and, you know, civil rights and stuff like that. And kind of how these things have uh, really a base in reality. And you're, you're telling them through the, the prism of, you know, people with superpowers, but the idea that that's kind of the, to me at least, the least interesting thing about them sometimes, you know, the most interesting thing about them is how there are people outside of that and what that really means and those effects. So, yeah. And for me, that's, I mean, across all media, right. It's like, you know, hence that the newest Spider-Man movie, I mean, that, that thing, if you take out again, no spoilers, any nostalgia element, even going back to the last two Tom Holland movies. Yeah. And just, you could erase everything and just go spider-man is put in this position because of a choice he made yeah realizes that if he makes another choice it results in a bad event so he tries to fix it i mean it's like this is a spider-man story like oh perfect. yeah yeah and then it's got all this really fun you know then then you've got other stuff decades that... worth of stuff in there that yeah for the geek in me was like, yeah there's some good oh! fa there's some fanboy moments for sure the oh. <laughs> but it's the best execution for me of like a fan service, you know, with a real heart, right? And a real story in there. Yeah. Like that's, which is what you always want. And, uh, but I do the same thing. Like I watch a lot of anime 
and uh, I read a bunch of manga and the stuff that that resonates with me it's it's yes beautiful uh, animation always but if if there's nothing going on you know then I'm I'm clocked out yeah uh, immediately yeah uh, you... so so I try to look for that even in something that's really straightforward um, Superman was like the biggest challenge for that because the plots or or maybe it was the easiest way to do it but I mean like you know I remember getting made fun of for having an episode about uh, an issue about like him trying to save these baby bottles from the from the uh, fire that was on the farm but that was like a story about you know his connection to his father and all sorts of stuff sure yeah yeah you know and that for me is the that's the real meat otherwise it's just it's you know, it's just fluff. Yeah. People punching each other and I just don't care. Yeah. That there's there. That's, that is the least interesting part. I've always said like even Marvel movies kind of the best part of Marvel movies is the first two thirds. Cause like the last third is like, yeah, they fight the blue light and they're, they're going to win, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the, it's what gets us there. That really is that the, the good part. So, um, yeah, quite, you bring up Superman. That, that was is that your longest run on any book, action comics? Something about five years, something like that. Is that right? No, I I, I feel like it was a. I thought it was the same three year, but maybe it was a little longer than that. Uh, I would I would believe you. Honestly, the, I, I thought it was five. Years. I thought it was yeah. I think um, it seemed like it I, maybe maybe not, but I thought it was that. It seemed like that was the longest thing on uh, on your list. Yeah, there, it but. probably it's probably. Yeah, I think it was like I definitely. I know it was longer than Deadpool. Okay. Uh, in my head, I'm always like, oh, I've never been on anything longer than three years, but probably you're right. Um, Superman, yeah, and then, and then yeah, JLA maybe was three years, so maybe that's why I'm thinking of it that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and Superman was a character that I, uh, it was funny, when I got hired, uh, it was like, what do you know about the character? And I'm like, honestly, the Donner movie. Yeah, like, that's, right. <laughs> that's my version of Superman. <laughs> yeah. And, and they were like, great. And then, and then it was the ability, you know, we had four books going and, uh, I, my book was him as, uh, you know, him and Lois is kind of a young married couple, which I was, you know, and that was great. To sort of okay. That, you know, and then again, look for heart stories with the guy, you know, focus on the man and Superman basically is what we were doing. Yeah. That, that, that was kind of what I wanted to ask is it seems that seems like one of the most challenging characters to write because, uh, you know, at the it's always I've always said like I was never a huge Captain America fan. I loved U.S. Agent because Captain America is like I'm always going to do good. His at the end of the day, there's no ambiguity, you know, and that that kind of I mean, there's definitely writers who have succeeded in making him very interesting, um, but it's, it's it's in my head that's way less interesting, you know. Right. Um, and you know, Superman, Ultimate Boy Scout, difficult for i mean how you difficult to even injure so i mean how do you make how do you start wrapping your head around how to write a, that character and you know approach that even yeah I, I yeah i mean you're spot on it it is it is a challenge and i was lucky enough that when i came on um it was kind of like a soft reboot you know without kind of saying it out loud and because we had different flavors for the books you know Loeb was doing sort of big you know, bombastic Superman stories. Mark Schultz was really focused on like uh, sci-fi aspect, um, and uh, Stuart Eminent, I guess, was writing the the other book. Um, 
God, it's embarrassing. I can't remember exactly who all was working, but no, I, but yeah. he, you know. Oh, do you know? No, no, I was just going to say, I yeah. wouldn't, I mean, you've worked out, it's been a million books over the, the years and a million creators, it's, you know, yeah. you can't remember. But, but I know Stuart had a, had a different angle as well. So we were all hitting, you know, our own thing. And so for me, because he could, he was a little more like literally vulnerable and emotionally vulnerable because of the way I was allowed to approach him, it opened, it paved the way for some more types of stories. Yeah. Because somebody else, like Loeb especially, could do whatever the hell he wanted, big, crazy stuff. And then we always would get together and we'd plot out a year and it would be like, okay, this is what we're heading towards. We're going to do our worlds at war or whatever. Um, and then within that context, then we, I would find the stories I wanted to tell. So that it was, it was very fun. And then, uh, but yeah, the challenge was always like, what were ways you could like weaken him without it being something, you know, silly like kryptonite or, you know, whatever. And so it was, you know, I mean, one of the first characters that we introduced was uh, La Encantadora, who was just like sultry, you know, like, you know, ridiculous, uh, quasi, maybe was going to be a love interest and um, realized how silly that was. Yeah. But then doing the I'm trapped with Wonder Woman for a thousand years story, that for me was a home run. You know, like that was because, you know, who doesn't love Wonder Woman? And sure. It's like, yeah. And we know that there's kind of a, a, a minimum of friendship between those two. And certainly it's been exploited in various ways over time. But to go like, oh, will he really, would he stay true to Lois for a thousand years? Like in the heat of battle and all this stuff and never knowing if he could get home and all this stuff. And um, so it was, it was just looking for those types of stories, you know, and, and that ultimately that type of thinking was what led to like action 775 where people you know you get at the time especially dark hero comics were kind of all the rage and it was like well superman's boring so well what if what if we gave you what you wanted what if we gave you a superman that kills people yeah you know and that that led to that story and um which obviously i'm very proud of as well so it, it was always just looking for that you know those those human angles because the the big threats were fun and and you know whatever but if there's no emotional cost then yeah no stakes either yeah if there's not a lot not stakes then it's very difficult to create attachment for the reader too so um the uh we we talked about chris uh i always mispronounce his last name how do you pronounce botch Bacello? i say bacello bacello uh, like it's like a soft soft egg okay bacello the uh Years ago, you did a book with him, uh, Steampunk, creator-owned yeah. Steampunk through a cliffhanger imprint. Um, and I've always heard that you have a sequel in there somewhere you would like to follow oh, yeah. up with that book. <laughs> is there any? Is there uh, still any uh, any chance of that ever happening? Is that? I mean, obviously, you, you hope so, but is it something realistic you guys have actually talked about trying to execute? We, um, it's funny, because every time Chris and I work together, it kind of comes up. I, yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the just to give you a little quick version of it, if that book had been a Vertigo book instead of a Cliffhanger book, I, maybe Chris wouldn't have been able to do it because the rates were better. But at Cliffhanger, but the um, yeah, yeah, the threshold, the publishing threshold was higher, right? So once it dropped between a certain level, uh, they couldn't sustain you know, everybody's rates and stuff. So yeah. it was like, okay, so we'll wrap the book up, but. 
but it was always it obviously ends on a cliffhanger we had the full run plan so uh you know to 24 issues and um and it, and it I, I really like the ending of the book. And it did get crazy. Like, they wind up in America, and there's Abraham Lincoln shows up, and there's, like, a lot of stuff <laughs> happens. Um, that's that's pretty wild. So Chris and I will talk about it on occasion. And uh, one of my, my personal resistance to diving into that is that I, I, not that I'm wed to what we had broken down, but I would find it challenging to compress that into like five issues or three issues or yeah something like that. so i feel like it would take another 12 issues and so to commit to 12 issues is tough on, it's really tough and um and honestly more for it's always tougher for the artist than it is for the writer because uh for that kind of a commitment you know uh, i could i can write those 12 issues and it'll take x amount of time in my month but it's not my month yeah and then, you know, the artist is like off the table. They're they can't do other work or, you know, they they literally disappear until something comes out. Yeah. Um, so that's really challenging and it's it's not entirely fair. But we do we do flirt with the idea all the time because it's uh it would be fun. It would be fun to really wrap it up. But I, I don't I don't honestly know if I'll ever get a chance. Maybe if we hit the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to worry about anything and you know. Yeah, especially with a guy like Chris, whose art is so detailed, I imagine his stuff has got to take a long time to to produce. Oh, yeah. You know, and especially steampunk. And I'm sure I have no doubt that he would want like a continuity. So he, because he used to do, you know, the, part of the. I was literally just talking about this to my son yesterday. That um, when we we made a very conscious decision that if people were paying at the time three bucks for twenty two pages. It should not be five minutes worth of reading. It should be a full. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like you need to dive in. And so every knob was turned to 11. So the art was intricate. And like there's stuff hidden in that book where there's like if you follow the, the pipes that are in between the panels, there's a little turtle that goes in one end and comes out like gamma. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I've... You know, like all this crazy stuff that Chris worked in there. And it, I mean, it's beautiful, but the amount of thought and processing that he put into that, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, uh, and even the lettering was turned up to 11. You know, uh, like, yep. It, <laughs> I yeah, actually read read the first trade uh, uh, about a year ago. And yeah, yeah, I hadn't read it since it first came out in single issues. And I picked up the trade and it's uh, just because I have, you know, fan of your writing, fan of Chris. He's one of my favorite artists. So I'm like, I'm going to read this again. Yeah. Then the, the lettering was one thing that definitely stood out <laughs> yeah yeah no richard i think we broke i, I definitely broke his back before, uh, Richard started. and uh it, i'm trying to remember uh they had some sort of a, award for me it was like best bathroom reading or something but it just because of just the amount of words yeah uh, at all times. Um, but yeah so it would be fun to go back but no no immediate plans sure to, uh, yeah one day maybe one day so one day um so for future projects, I mean, is there anything, um, well, well, I'll make this a two prong question. First question, first part, uh, any characters, uh, you haven't had a chance to work with that you're very much, uh, still want to work on. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, there's always my own stuff, obviously. We'll yeah. just say that that's a given, but, um, in terms of, um, yeah, I really like, you know, I love, um, I like horror characters. Okay. Um, so, 
and and I'll I'll throw certain magic characters into that. So like Doctor Strange would be really fun mm. uh, to write because I also love that the ego of that character and how that all plays out. Um, the Spectre is a character that I just oh yeah love. I've only ever gotten to do like a short story with the Spectre, but I I love how bizarre that uh, there there's one series in particular that was pretty short lived, and that's the one that I I like inherited in this pile of comics as a kid. And I, so I've read it over and over. And, and within the series, they're trying to figure out how to best use the Spectre. And it's kind of these like trippy ass stories where he's you know executing revenge on people. And then he gets like called by God to be the spirit of vengeance and <laughs> then gets a book chained to him. And it's crazy. Like so much crazy stuff happens in that book. And it, so I, I just love that character. I have a deep love for the Spectre. Um, and at Marvel... It, it would be a it's funny you mentioned cap like it would be a cool challenge to try to figure out a way into cap that um that i could really add something yeah um and then um i don't know uh, it's I've, I've been so lucky i honestly like i've been so lucky to spidey was my uh, like i said he's always been my number one so getting to do spider-man is like that's the dream, the dream. so yeah well good yeah so yeah, but, but there's there's so many. I mean, there are so many great characters, and characters are meaningful to me. Um, you know, growing up, so it's just you want to. You just hope that there's you have something to say to add to the legacy. Yeah, um, something that sticks. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you certainly have provided that with uh, many other characters in the past, as we've talked about. So I think, I think no matter what one you land on, it's gonna you're gonna add something that's gonna stick. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate. Um, the, uh, and, uh, uh, last part of that question, what, what do you have coming that, uh, you're working on that, uh, for you, that you want, that you have coming out, coming out that you want people to know about, or that, uh, is, is in the near future for Joe? Yeah, sure. I, so like I said, Ken and I, uh, Ken Demora, uh, we're just wrapping up this graphic novel, um, called Immortal Sergeant, which he, he realized I mentioned in an interview apparently 10 years ago, which is so terrifying um but it's uh it's a road trip story um about a, a a cop who's retiring and his sort of like disaffected son and them trying to solve a cold case and uh it's it, it was challenging my dad was a cop so there's some semi-autobiographical elements to it um so it's got a lot of heart and a lot of my guts and daddy issues sort of on page, <laughs> uh, all under Ken's expert pen and, and um, it, I really am very happy with how it's come out and so we're just wrapping that up I don't know when it's going to show up because um, just I don't know uh, especially in, in the current day because yeah. it's just uh, <laughs> people honestly do have like more inventory I don't mean literal books in the bookstore right, in, the, in a warehouse but like just more projects and they know what to do with so. yeah um but that that's going to be done done and that's been something on my you know plate for a long time um over at humanoids uh i'm doing this book called fong that just came out in france and uh that's a, a little like fox demon hunter uh it's with uh, nico Anrashan, and it's beautiful like he is just so ridiculously talented and it was it was his uh, his idea. I got grandfathered into that, which was just wonderful to be, you know, anytime. So especially when it's a creator own thing, to have Nico sort of gave birth to this baby. And yeah. Then I'm 
like, well, here's what I would do. Here's how I would mangle your baby. And I would do it in a different <laughs> way. And, uh, and he was totally up for it, which was great. So that book's been really fun. It definitely scratches my anime manga itch, uh, but in a way that's different. I've always, I love the European format. You know, those big books and you know, look at like Black Sad and the album format. And Nico does anthropomorphic animal creatures so well. Yeah. So you take that, you put action in it. You know, his mood, everything's painted. It's beautiful. Just like a lot. I'm, I'm yeah. Really proud of that book. And that's going to come out um, in America eventually. I think what we're doing is uh, there's two volumes currently planned. And I believe that when the second volume comes out in France, that's when the one and two will come out in the States. Okay. So I think that's going to be this year, but um, or next year. But I'm not 100% sure. And who's publishing that? Uh, Humanoids. Oh, you, you said that. Yeah, yeah sorry. You said that. Okay. And then, um, and then, like I said, we're doing, Man of Action is doing the Sonic show uh, on Netflix, uh, which will show up, uh, not exactly sure when. <laughs> Um, that's another one that it, it's all production schedules and stuff, but it's either it's sometime off in the just not distant future at all, but, uh, that'll, that's going to be fun. It's been a, it's been a really fun trip, uh, on that. And then, um, then what else, uh, trying to shoot another short film, uh, for myself, uh, cause I, I really want to do more directing. I did. I did film a little while ago that was kind of too long to be in, in film festivals. It was like a half an hour movie called Poughkeepsie, but I, I really have the bug to do more. And um, so I'm working on a, like a little short horror. So uh, writing and directing those. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I mean, are what small budget or how do you, what's a production yeah, company get behind them? Poughkeepsie or? was a Kickstarter uh, thing and the budget was like, you know, uh, 35 grand, I guess. And um, this, this will be, I really, you know, we talked about Kickstarter. I think there's incredible value in doing Kickstarters for certain things. Mm -hmm. My own guilt makes it challenging to do something like, unless I have the product. Like if I had the book and I'm selling you a book, that makes Kickstarter a lot easier for me. But because, you know, you're doing a short film and it takes a long time and, oh, it got pushed five months for X, Y, and Z. Like the, the weirdness of that made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> like, no, no, I promise um, you. Thanks for the money. Yeah, no, I it's feel really like, okay. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you also have, a, yeah, I've got this monorail oh. if you want to buy it. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was definitely, you know, it came with those challenges, but I was ultimately happy with the, the finished product and, um, and it got a couple, you know, little awards for places I would accept a half hour short film yeah. uh, as opposed to like eight minutes or 10 minutes. So I've learned my lesson to keep it short. Can people but, find uh, that anywhere? Uh, yeah, the, it, on my Twitter, it's pinned, um, okay. at the top. So it's, uh, you know, at, at Joe Kelly, MOA, uh, is my Twitter, but it's, um, it's like on Vimeo. One of these days I'll just put it on YouTube. I don't know why I haven't put it on YouTube, but, um, yeah, the link takes you to Vimeo. But, okay. Uh, and then, um, yeah, we just always have stuff bubbling, you know, um, I've definitely gotten the, it's been nice doing the spite, well, Savage, of course, Savage Spider-Man comes out in February, um, and that's going to be super fun. Uh, but it's been great to be sort of in the comics pool again, too, because, uh, you know, like all, all, all of us Man of Action, we kind of swing in and out. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing so much animation, then to get to do comics again for a while 
we're, we're always pecking at comics. Like every single one of us are always working on something comics related. Sarge was such a big, I mean, the, that book is 300 and something pages. Like it's a, it's a big book um, for me. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've never put out like a one shot like that. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. That's a lot to <laughs> produce it, and it get was, out yeah, there. And, and honestly, that's, <laughs> that's probably after losing about 40 pages that were drawn. Yeah. You know, like, oh my God. Wow. There was a lot of stuff. Cause my, my dad told a lot of cop stories. And, and <laughs> I would imagine, especially in New there. York. And it was, it was definitely uh, funny and dark and, you know, uh, formative. <laughs> For, <laughs> you'll see where the Deadpool mindset came from. Um, probably cathartic it, to get that out too, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad passed away about 13, almost 14 years ago. And, um, it was a story I kind of wanted to do for a long time, uh, because of some of the, um, the actual, you know, uh, semi autobiograph, well, the, the true to life stuff about our relationship, there, there was actually some, some pretty interesting stuff and it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to dramatize that. And then it took me a lot longer to figure out how to separate myself from it so i yeah. can look at it a little bit more objectively and ken was critical in that um and he was the one who'd be like you know i really like this cop story but you know it doesn't move the story along like you've kind of already illustrated he's got that said humor and maybe we should <laughs> cut this part and and he had already drawn these things so he was like killing his own darlings it wasn't just mine um and that's why again i love collaborating it's yeah like, yep, you're 100 you can... correct and and I miss those things, sort of, but I also now can't picture the book with them in it. Sure, know, yeah, that, yeah. Better. I think the version yeah. that's going to come out is probably the version that should. You know, usually that's what you end up with, especially when you have those kind of creative minds all working together and, and doing it. Yeah. So It really helps. It really helps. And, and that's something I got, you know, notes from the guys, uh, Man of Action, and, and uh, Joe Illich is editing for us. So, you know, uh, you know we, we went out to get an editor, because I was like, I definitely need another set of eyeballs to just help because yeah. uh, I'm so like, it really is like, here are my guts. And I'm just <laughs> putting them right on this. Script. Yeah. When you're so, that um, married, that close to something, you got to have a little buffer to, to, yeah. to, to make sure yeah. it's in, not. In this case, a big buffer because, <laughs> you know, as long as, you know, like I said, it's been over a decade since my dad passed away, but you know, you're, you're going into sort of deep childhood stuff and, and a figure like that looms large. Yeah. You know? Um, Giants was very much driven in part by my dad, uh, but I was still, everybody was still here and it was still more theoretical stuff, right? It was like, what might my daughter be like yeah. in the future? And what might, you know, it be like to face the mortality of a parent and all that kind of stuff. This, this is very much after the fact, but trying to process things like our relationship and his personal, like, his cop life for lack of a better term, you know, mm -hmm. which at the, you know, again, talking about our sort of controversial last couple of years, you know, like we're working on this book and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is going to be a really <laughs> curious time to put this book out. Yeah. But, Very topical. All of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully people will sort of get it, you know, like what the goal of this book is. It's not, it's not to make excuses for anybody. And it's also not to, um, to sort of, wash over yeah like the flaws that people have and 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 really that's incidental to the father-son story which right. is really the heart of this thing but i mean when i say i've literally been working on this for a decade you know it, that is how long it's been. <laughs> well i'm so, glad i'm glad it's finally going to come out and uh 
despite timing, everything is just illustrating your personal experience and no one can take that away. I mean, that's, right. that is what it is. So, you know, that's, right. well, that's but, the goal. That's so. the goal. But it's, uh, and I, like I said, I'm anytime I can work with Ken, uh, you know, he's, he's just a super genius and, and a real sweetheart and, uh, and gives his all. I mean, the book looks amazing. Yeah. Um, so. Well, we will keep an eye out. We'll keep an eye out for that and uh, everything else coming out from uh, you and Man of Action Studios. So, uh, Joe, I will let you go. You've been here for two hours. I'm sure you got stuff to do. <laughs> I, I I really appreciate it, though. This has been a great great conversation. I love talking to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime when you got something going on again. I mean, you always have something going on, but you know, not to make it. <laughs> no, you, you know, when you you know when you're, you're gonna make it, kid. You're gonna be okay. Let me know when you. I go. hope so. <laughs> yeah, you like. <laughs> But, I really uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much. And yeah, it's been great talking to you too. It's really, uh, this has been super fun. And you know, it, when, when two hours go by and I go, Oh, two hours went by. Yeah. The, I know. Right. Like I, I, I always feel bad with guests. Cause I'm like, I, I can talk all day, but I'm like, I guess have other, other lives, you know, comics are comedians aren't real people. Uh, we don't, <laughs> we, you know, they don't count us in the census. Uh, so the, uh, but, uh, for everyone, uh, Follow Joe. Check, if you don't read comic books, I, I know a lot of my listeners don't. Check out some of the stuff he's done. Uh, some of the stuff is a Man of Action Studios is doing. There's lots of great material out there that ranges in lots of different genres uh, and mediums and all sorts of things you can consume. So uh, check it out. Follow it. See what's going on. And uh, I'm sure you'll find something you like. So... Uh, and, uh, guys, as for me, go to dececomedy.com, check out everything going on across the network, uh, live dates, uh, coming, uh, uh all across, uh, the country. I'll be everywhere coming up. Uh, uh, big one, January 2nd at the Spokane Comedy Club. I'll be headlining that, uh, Sunday night. I'm bringing some very funny friends. So get tickets to that. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a good show. That's the one I'm pushing. That'll be fun. So, uh, beyond that, guys, that's it, uh, for the social hour. Thank you very much. Uh, I have been decent for Joe. Thanks again again, Joe. Um, And we will see you all next week. 